There's like six staffs being held in the air. Wreaths. You know, so it is the six of wands. You know who also was the six of wands? Who was the six of wands? Matt Cleary. I'm Matt sure. Cleary. So there you go. There's a bit of a fun Black Helm Earthrot connection. So I read that knew we out had something. And uh, we'll get cracking. Six of Wands. Recognition, role model, promotion, praise, self-confidence. When this card appears, you should take pride in your ability to lead and inspire others. You have worked hard and are receiving recognition for your accomplishments. Try to receive such acclaim and admiration graciously. <clears throat> Be proud, but beware of conceit. Remember to give gratitude to all those who have supported you to get here. Others are looking at you for guidance. Responsible and ethical action is required. The most powerful way to teach is by modeling the behavior and attitudes yourself. Take time to celebrate your triumph, but remember, though you have had success on your path, you have not reached your final destination. How's that make you feel? All right, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to put too much pressure on you being that you will be the card, but I feel pretty good about that. Yeah, not bad at all. Welcome to Fuck You Tarot Lady episode 17. My guest today is Jared Bridgman. Is that, am I saying that correct? Yes, Bridgman? correct. Bridgman. Here I am. Bridgman. Bridgman. <laughs> Bridgman. Like, like Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on the show, man. This is like the first official podcast where the Sanctum Lights work. It's got a vibe. We're in here. There's some incense going. We're drinking tiny Red Bull bottles that are just syrup. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a big vibe. <laughs> so... Let's jump straight into your origin into music. Like, you know, you grew up in Perth. Um, tell us about what it was like being a little metalhead in Perth. Yeah, I grew up playing playing music in Perth. Uh, fortunately, I had an older brother, about five years older, who was also into playing music quite young. Um, playing, playing metal is a thing that just kind of happened at the time where he started learning learning guitar straight to Metallica. I guess I would have grown up listening to him playing Metallica in the next room over. And so it was always, it was inevitable that I would fall into heavy metal. Mm. And with that little brother, like I'm a little brother as well. Yeah. And you, you can't not just do what your little brother, uh, what the big brother does as a little brother. Like you just, you know, I don't know. It's just something like, I'll just do that. Yeah. You know? Well, you, you do what you know. You, if you, <laughs> yeah, it's you, a default. Mon mon monkey see, monkey do. You see a little bit of heavy metal, you see guitar and you think, yeah, I can do that. I can do that better. <laughs> Oh, is that what is that what? I don't think it, I don't think it was competitive. With too many siblings for us to be directly competitive. Too many siblings. How many siblings? Four. Have you got? I'm the youngest of four. Oh, okay. So it was just kind of like you could just do whatever you wanted at that point. Yeah. Well, <laughs> my family had received what they needed out of all the other siblings, <laughs> and I kind of had free reign to do whatever was whatever I felt like doing. I felt like the same way as the youngest of three, where it was just kind of like, oh fuck it. At this point, the parents don't care. Like I was going to shows at like 16 like sneaking into bars in Geelong and mum and dad are like yeah just be safe you know whereas <laughs> like the first one the eldest is like you can't fucking go anywhere here is some pressure here is some pressure for you <laughs> so so you're following him you're doing some Metallica how old are you at this point you reckon I reckon I would have started playing guitar in in year five whoa yeah year five I would have started year six I would have been playing a little more regularly just to, uh, my brother would have taught me to, to read tabs and so I'd be on the world's slowest dial-up internet, finding the only tabs of songs that I could find on like one string, playing on an acoustic guitar. 
What kind of songs were they though? Like, do you remember what they were? Like just classic licks. Like the first one would have been Iron Man, Black Sabbath. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. First thing I would have learned to play on a guitar. That's like the only thing I know how to play on a guitar. Yeah. (laughs) It's still good. I still play it all the time. Do you like, have you added chords now or are you still just doing the single fingers on like one? Yeah, single finger, single note, low string. I'm a bass player. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) You're not getting too technical. Yeah. We don't need to get too fancy with it. Okay, great. So then you're starting with that and then where does that, so that's still really early, like doing Iron Man and shit in like grade six. Yeah. I was listening to Corn in grade six, man. Like, nice. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, like well, it, it has its own, <laughs> has its own merit, but it's not cool. Like listening to Sabbath when you're that young, that's fucking sick. I don't think I was even listening to Sabbath because it was cool. It was because it was what I could play, and it was a matter of this is a thing that I can actually wrap my my head and my hands around and learn to play. And so you just dive into what you can do, and then progressively start looking for okay well i can play this now what else can i play and you go search for something a little more difficult and you keep going and going and eventually you find yourself listening to necrophagist and you're like okay cool yeah i can't play this so here we are definitely go, i guess that's go, where we're at i'm gonna pick up a bass guitar instead yeah. <laughs> <laughs> once dudes start doing crazy sweeps and stuff you're like i'm out yeah that's fine don't worry about it. you guys you guys have fun with your sweeps <laughs> i'm gonna go back to i'm gonna go back to black sabbath rips <laughs> <laughs> which is all come around in full circle anyway you know yeah like, absolutely um, so, okay. So, wow. So grade six playing guitar. And then how does it, like, when do you, I think there's a, a glorious moment in every young metalhead's life when they decide like, I'm growing my hair. I'm going to start filtering in some more black clothes into my outfit, maybe buy like a Slayer t-shirt from some smoke shop or something in Perth. Like what's the, what was that click moment where you're like, I'm a metal dude now. I had a few of them. Like looking back, I remember we're on holiday with the family. We've gone to the U S and we're at one of those big department outlet stores. And it's big brands and it's like, you know, Nike and Adidas and stuff like that. And everything that I went to pick out was black. And I'm, this is like year six. And I remember my mom distinctly going, you can't only wear just black all the time. And I've gone, I know, I know, because I've heard that before. But based on what, like fashion rules? Yeah. I don't know. Just that was just no one, no one at that point in time in my life, in the world, in school, you know, in sports and whatever the things you do when you're in primary school. No one wore just black. You would never see a person in black jeans and a black t-shirt. It just didn't happen. Mm. Um, And this is, you know, the like early 2000s. Yeah, late 90s, early 2000s. And it was just, you know, at least you'd see like metalheads would be blue jeans and a black shirt. And I just wanted to wear all black. I don't really know why. I didn't really have a reason for it. It just felt right. It felt good. You just speaking to Johnny Cash. Yeah, I just kind of answered mom and went, yeah, sure, okay. And I bought a grey shirt. I bought the closest thing to black that I could find that wasn't black. And without any knowledge of why I was doing that, I've just rolled with it. And it just kind of kept going. And once you find what's comfortable, just keep going and going and going. Mm. Reach high school and there's, you know, much bigger classes, bigger pool of people to hang out with and talk to. And we start, start playing in bands. It's mostly rock, you know, we're doing we're doing Sabbath, we're doing Hendrix, we're doing stuff like that, just with a couple other musicians. And this is when I met uh, Tom Waterhouse, my guitarist. Oh, we wow. met in year eight at school. I think it That's was a bit cute. He but... was he was having guitar lessons and someone knew he was playing guitar and I was playing bass at the time. And so they've gone, Brilliant. This is half a band. And we were introduced and started playing almost immediately playing stuff together. And have you guys been in bands ever since then? Like since, since yeah, you're right? on and off for ages. So we started a band called Advent Sorrow together, like fresh out of high school. And then kind of went our separate ways from that. And we just keep coming back and starting bands. And so part of the reason we started Earthrot was purely so we could play in a band together again. We thought we keep doing this. We keep playing in a band. The band kind of finishes. We start a new thing. 
we'd go separate ways playing some different bands and we always came back and started another band we went fuck it let's just start another band it's like a cute romance story you know like a three-act harry met sally it's like oh, you know what we just need to start a fucking band again you know like let's just do it Throw away the rules. Now, well, hold on, wait. We've, I want to jump into Earthrot in a second, but we've gone from playing acoustic guitar to playing bass. When was the point where you gave up guitar and started playing a bass in high school? Like, what was that moment? Actually, it was year seven. I went to a Christian school and they had uh, they had a worship band. And so the whole thing I noticed when I was in year six, it was only year sevens in the worship band. And every Friday, they'd get something like two and a half hours off classes yes. to go and play these songs. And the songs were all like... Hendrix and Sabbath and Dylan and stuff like that, only with the lyrics changed to be creepy Jesus songs. No shit, that's yeah. what? They're all Hendrix. Yeah, it was all Hendrix. I mean, it was, you know, simple stuff and, you know, kind of three, four chord songs and a little bit of 12 bar blues. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I want to do that. I would way prefer to play an instrument. And like, I've played a little bit of guitar. I was like, I can do this. I'll play a little bit of an instrument instead of having to actually sit there and, and, do, and do work and do like, do education. Like, I'd absolutely prefer to play music. So I went and tried out and they kind of get everyone on like a little strat and they go, here, play this. Can you play this? Can you play anything? Can you do these chords? And, and you're like, there check this Iron Man other- shit. <laughs> I thought I was hot shit. I would have absolutely <laughs> thought I was the only person who could possibly do it. Not realizing that there were kids who were, you know, born with a classical guitar in their hand and had been playing since they were, you know, seven years old or something like, like that. Like school of rock kids. Yeah, stuff like that. Or just like kids with like parents who really pushed them to achieve and you know needed them to learn music and learn classical Mm. and so all the kids that had learned classical got dropped straight into playing the actual guitar roles in the worship band and because i hadn't played them and i was playing riffs on like a one string the teacher was like okay so we have these students who are already playing guitar they've already been playing for two three years by this stage in year seven what about bass and i was like brilliant i'm in i don't care i'm in i just want to skip school i just want to skip school and play music and yeah, so that's when I switched to bass. And then once I was playing it regularly, I was like, okay, I guess I'm playing bass now. Bass is, mm. bass is happening. Bass is a role. It's in the band. It's not education. I get to play some <laughs> riffs. Bass it is. Excellent. And I just, I never really thought about switching back. Like I bought myself guitars and I still play guitar regularly, but I never switched back to the mindset of being, I'm a guitarist now. I think it was so. It was early enough on that I didn't really know what I was doing musically. That once I started playing bass more regularly, that kind of formed my, I guess, identity as a musician. Mm. And do you think that's important? Like, I don't know. Like, because I mean, I guess I, I don't want to diss any bass players out there, but you know, the, the bass player has that kind of uh, connotation. So attached. many bass players are guitarists playing bass because you need a bass player in the band and things like that. Yeah. Uh, and there's not a lot of people that will go, "Yeah, I'm a bass player." Mm. I'm a bass player. I play bass. And if they do, they usually have like a bass clef tattooed on them somewhere. <laughs> oh God, they do. Yeah. Yeah, like, they do. They're the ones where you're like, oh, that's actually a bass player. Yeah. There they go. <laughs> you're, a pro- you're a proper bass player. A proper <laughs> bass player who plays bass lines. Probably plays double bass. <laughs> I actually did play a little bit of upright bass in oh, high school as well. Yeah. 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 Playing the swing band. That's part of how, actually, that's another part of how Tom and I met is in high school, we were both playing together in the swing band. Oh. So I was playing bass and he was playing euphonium. What, sorry, what's a euphonium? Like a it's like a two third sized tuba. It's like yeah, like a little baby tuba. And so Tom <laughs> was playing euphonium, and I was playing. I was playing bass. I actually got quick kicked out of the swing band in high school because I just refused to read music. I refused to read the sheet music. You're like, where's the tabs for this? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't do it. And so I just improvised walking bass lines, and like they were fine. And then I'd like 
probably embellish a little too much for a high school band where really they just they want you to just learn music and learn how to read the notes and i just wouldn't do it so i was improvising i'm doing walking bass lines meanwhile there's a second bass player and she's like a read the note perfect off the sheet play the note perfect kind of bass player and then the teacher kind of pulled me aside one day and had a word and he's like well you're not really playing the parts i'm like well i'm playing the parts all right i'm just not really playing it as this as this old bloke wrote uh, but I think my way's a lot more fun. And they're like, okay, well, we're going to go with the person who's playing it as it's written. And I'm like, well, I guess that's just your choice, man. That's just like your opinion. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. I was kicked out of the swing band for improvising, which I think is bloody brilliant. Yeah, that's, you know, it's pretty badass to get kicked out of a swing band, you know? <laughs> improvising in jazz, no less. <laughs> so really, you should have been teaching the fucking swing band. Yeah, I didn't know that at the time, but... Mm. I was already more jazz than the jazz teacher. Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty though. Sometimes you know. <laughs> no, he, he really messed that one up, didn't he? <laughs> okay, so so then you know, so you get kicked out of swing band. What what age is that? Is this year eight? Did you say? You no, know? the swing band would have been somewhere around year ten, year eleven. Oh, okay, so that's yeah. when you're really feeling the grooves. Oh know? yeah, like I'm playing. I'm playing now. Yeah. So then, was you doing? And then on top of playing like some Hendrixy Jesus covers. <laughs> When does like oh, the when does the band start, like the first band start? Was that with Tom? There was a band before I actually started playing like riffs with Tom, where two other dudes and I were doing some sort of like weird hippie fusion stuff. Guitarist was into like a little bit of Jack Johnson, and I was playing some riffs. And the drummer was just one of those dudes who could pick up and play any instrument, absolutely any instrument, and be better at it than you were, who have been playing for five years. And you're like, okay, cool. <laughs> So we had this like little three-piece band going. And then that's around the time that I started meeting and jamming with Tom. I think we had a school battle of the bands, like a f- school fate or something. And we did Killing in the Name of together with Tom on vocals. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. How was that? Probably atrocious. But we did that and we did Aerials by System of a Down in like year year 10 or something like that. Oh, yeah, man. One of the... um. Uh, I think that might have been ugh, I'm putting words in Matt Cleary another six of one's mouth but like he learned Chop Suey and like that was something that our old band used to cover back in the day as well so like System of Down is uh, they were just everywhere it's a, they it's really a, yeah were. I was going to say it was a mainstay for everyone in that scene for such a long time you know because it was such a such a video hits band it was so a video like, hits band you couldn't go anywhere without seeing them yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, you can't help but be like, oh, fuck yeah. Like, and then even sometimes when it pops on Spotify radio, System of Down comes on, you're like, oh, yeah, it's a pretty fucking good well, song. Well, I haven't actually. heard this yeah. since like 2009 or like, something. I was uh, listening to a bunch of like random songs, like a random playlist at the gym yesterday and Bounce came on. <laughs> and I was like, this is actually a pretty fucking good song to, yeah, like, bad, be in the, to run on the treadmill too. I'm fucking into this. Anyway, so you're doing this weird kind of band, but when was it like, I'm going to fucking start a heavy metal band? Like, the day that we started doing like actual metal. The thing that really flipped it for me is like we'd always kind of heard, we'd heard Slayer and Iron Maiden and like bands that we would have got off movies like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Wayne's World, stuff mm. like that. Um, I went into 78 Records in Perth, which is a big, big old record store there. Is it still there? Is it like I think an they've shut down in the last year or so after like 30 plus years of it's like operation. It's a tower record situation. Yeah, <laughs> well, it was mental. I remember seeing I remember seeing like upstairs they had acoustic bands and I saw like Birds of Tokyo before they even released an EP play up upstairs there and stuff like that. Really cool place. I've gone in and on one of the old school CD listening stations, you pop on the headphones and just press play on this thing. And what I heard was actually... It was the opening track of Job for a Cowboy's Genesis album. Whoa. And I've heard just these 
disgustingly just outrageously heavy vocals i've gone what the hell is this like this is insane this is like demonic what is it mm. and i couldn't read the uh couldn't read that the logo at the time because i didn't <laughs> yet develop the skills of how to read heavy metal band logos so i turned the spine i have to get the cd and i look at it i go oh job for a cowboy brilliant well i'm gonna buy this because i don't know what it is but it's brilliant it's genius i'm gonna have to listen to this so what so what age were you at this point and how old were you like this would be like 2000 and job for a cowboy had that ep what was the ep that had that real doom yeah yeah because that would have been what 2003 2004? Yeah, 2003 which would make this 2006 maybe mm-hmm. so oh, maybe even earlier 2005 2006 somewhere around there so it's, it's like year 10 year 11 mm-hmm. um and i've gone to buy the ticket uh, buy the um buy the cd at the counter and they've gone hey well they're playing here tomorrow and they're doing an all ages show like what this band's doing an all ages show okay genius and Tom and I, at this point, like, you know, we'd been listening to Slayer. We'd been listening to stuff. We'd gone to, you know, a, a festival and, listen, you know, had Slipknot and stuff like that. But like this Big is, Day Out? Was that, would, would that have been? It would have been Big Day Out. Yeah. Um, and this was the thing that kind of turned it from, like, accessible heavy metal, like, your system of down and Slipknot and things like that, into we're really going for death metal now. Like, we're going mm. into some really gnarly heavy some stuff. pig squealy shit. Stuff that's going to make us want to play it. Mm. Um, and yeah, they've gone, hey, they're, they're playing tomorrow. And so I'm going, brilliant. I'm having two tickets. Give them to me right now. I've bought two tickets and called Tom on the train home. And I said, hey, there's this band, Job for a Cowboy. Um, I think we might have maybe heard one of the songs off Doom on the internet or like a magazine CD sample. Oh, dude, there was that. I don't know if we've talked about this podcast before, but it's something that I remember very specifically of that era was it was everyone's MySpace song for the like for that for that window in time. Everyone had that one track from and had like the. Where like the drum stop and it's like, and then yeah, it like cuts back in. Entombment of a machine. They had a clip and it was like, there's a, there's dude. a SpongeBob clip. Do you remember that? I, I have seen the SpongeBob one. <laughs> yeah. So, Job for a Cowboy was like your gateway, like proper gateway into like. It was kind of like the trigger. It was the band that made me go, okay, like the really, really outrageously heavy stuff is something that's interesting to me. This is something that I want to I want to pursue. We want to do more of. I want to see it. I want to hear it. I want to go from listening to the bands that are big, that are out there, to the stuff that is really doing something I've never seen or heard before. And I think also it's like, you know, you were mentioning bands like Slayer and stuff before. You might be able to see them at like a fucking giant arena or something. But yeah. like you can see this band viscerally like in front of you with a couple of people. I think that's a huge click point for a lot of people is when yeah. like you actually see dudes, you're like, that's a guy from my school playing like heavy shit. Or that's a, you know, like that's someone that's come to our town. Like it's yeah. so different to watching a band in an arena on a giant stage. Yeah, well, like, we didn't really know that you would see like bands come and play to 150, 300 kids. Mm. We didn't know that would happen because all we knew was there was Big Day Out and there was, you know, Iron Maiden at like another arena. We knew the big bands. We knew the big things. But this is where I discovered there was a scene of underground music playing to people all around the world all day every day worldwide Mm. and we went this music is different it's very different it's got something else it's got something else to offer that we're not getting from the music with that we know even in even in heavy metal even in slipknot system of a down slayer whatever even in metallica this is a whole other thing yeah and then we went and saw them the next day and it was just it was it was ridiculous it was it was outrageous they played like there was a de-licensed venue in perth so they, they don't really do this anymore, but they did an all-ages show before and then 
put up all the liquor in the bar and yes. then did 18 plus show the oh, same night. Dude, the Nash in Geelong used to do the exact same thing yeah. where you, the band room was separate so you could wander in and as long as they put boards up and covered all the booze on the shelf, you could do the all ages show like on the Sunday day and yeah. then like Sunday night, the band would just play again. And they're yeah. just like, yeah, take the boards down. Exactly. Dude, get pissed. <laughs> yeah. But that, yeah, you're right. That doesn't happen anymore, which is a real shame that like, is that just... Probably harder I think to get li- liquor licensing yeah. laws, like Nanny State and WA, of course. You guys are Nanny State over there. I didn't big know. Time, big yeah? time. Yeah. Right. Not, qu- not quite to the point of Sydney as well, but. Mm. Well, there's so yeah, we haven't really covered a, a, like your Perth life. So, yeah, what's different now? You're living in Melbourne. You've been here for a year and a bit. Um, what have you noticed is a big difference so far between like Perth and Melbourne? Like, do you still feel like a Perth boy at heart? You know, is there still some Perth in you? You know, like, do you get excited when you see a can of Emu Export or? Oh, definitely, definitely. A can of Emu Export, my eyes light up. If I see it, it's just, it's go. We have to have it. Can you get it here somewhere? Have you found a spot somewhere in Melbourne? No, no. The weird thing is they brew it here. They brew it in Melbourne and truck it back to WA. And you can't buy it here. So you've got to hijack a truck is what you're saying. Before yeah, I, yeah. Before I just need I to get a job for Lion Nathan or something and start skimming them, I guess. The only oh. way to get them. But yeah, I definitely do still feel like a Perth guy, mostly just because of the weather. The city, it's it's just like a bigger version of the same thing. There's like a ton more people, a lot more roads and everything's squashed together, but that's just more people. Mm. And that's not really a big deal. That's fine. I can handle big cities. That's That's not really a problem. But the weather is the thing that makes it feel like a different place. Mm. in perth it's sunny all day it's you know it's 40 degrees for weeks at a time and it rains two weeks a year tops here it rains almost every day it's It's, wild it pissed down rain today yeah it's crazy um we're in the middle of summer it's raining climate change um but anyway so uh so you're over in perth it's hot all the time you're figuring out heavy metal and then what was that first band? Was that, uh, you mentioned them before, what was it? What was the name of that band that you started when you were 18-ish? Oh, when we were just out of high school, Tom and I started a band called Advent Sorrow. Um, at the time, it was some sort of melodic death kind of thing. We were influenced by like a lot of Dark Tranquility at the time. Sick. I think they just put out Fiction. And that was like, that was a pretty killer album that we were really getting into. And then we started writing a little bit of black metal stuff, but nothing particularly grim and then the band eventually went on to become full full on black metal in all of the senses of the word this is after my time in the band and after tom's time in the band mm-hmm. uh all of the good and bad parts of black metal <laughs> so when you say influenced by black metal at that time what were you listening to like what band specifically like it's a pretty broad like black metal keeps getting kind of broader and broader now yeah and now we have like blackened bands like i would say like earth rot's kind of like a black definitely yeah. you know like so, like, what was the bands back then? Oh, the bands that would have done it for us because we had a keyboard player. So, it was definitely Dimmuborgia, Cradle of Filth, uh, a bit of Karakangren, a little bit of Flesh God Apocalypse as well, Dark Tranquility, really anything else that utilized their keyboard player in some way is a thing that we were listening to and trying to emulate. And a lot of that is bands that lean into black metal. Mm. Yeah, fuck, that's that's sick. Um, okay, cool. So then you did Advent Sorrow for... How long were you in that band for? Oh, like, three, three or four years. So then at this point now, so what, you're like 21, 22? Yeah, yeah, around what, 22. And then what happened with that with the band? Like we, just- I, we reached this point where as the band was evolving into becoming a genuine black metal band, um, I was really disinterested in the like theatrical visual side of what other members of the band wanted to do. I didn't really care about corpse paint. I didn't want to be dressing up. 
didn't really care. I just wanted to write riffs. I wanted to write songs. And I wanted to have fun playing them. Mm. And we reached a point where it was like, I'm not at all in this as much as everyone else in the band. And our bass player at the time, who went on to take over the lead vocal role, was like, I will do it. I've got, you know, he had ideas for that kind of stuff that I was just disinterested in. Mm. And it became apparent when we were playing songs for three, four months and I just wouldn't even bother writing lyrics for him. I'd just improv it on stage. I'd just make it up. That's like, that was, it was like really poor, but you know, I was too young to realize that I just didn't want to be in the band. And so rather than go, hey guys, I'm not enjoying this. This is not for me anymore. I just stopped putting in the effort. Like a bad relationship. I yeah. just, stopped, just stopped doing anything for it and waited for them to kick me out. <laughs> Which they inevitably did. <laughs> Great plan. Yeah. Um, so, wow, that's actually pretty interesting. Uh, you were talking about the black metal thing. It's really, it's, it's kind of an interesting predicament to be in when you're like a band from Perth up and coming and you're trying to be black metal or Melbourne or wherever you are. Yeah. Like, and Matt and I have joked about this before when like you're, if you're like a black metal dude, but you have to like set up your own gear. Like you have to get to a point where someone else sets up for you or someone else is your so tech. So you can corpse paint off. Yeah. Because if you are like got corpse paint on or like a spiky jacket or something or like a, like some kind of outfit and then you're like getting on stage and like lugging your head and putting it on top and like, it just, how do you, how do you navigate that crucial 15 minute window when you got to be kind of brutal but you also got to like need the mobility and like not ridiculousness to set that stuff up so it's like you got to just come out of the gate massive to, to, to do a lot of that kind of stuff yeah you know? like i don't know like change over with lights down rather than lights up mm. um like maybe wear something else over the top like chuck on like a big jacket while you're setting up just never face the crowd while you're doing it i don't know i didn't really do too much of the corpse pain in advent sorrow i think i did like one show in it before i was out but I have since played in bands that have done corpse paint like regularly. And the key for us was either you just do it before and you just don't, don't look at people, don't make eye contact until you're on stage or you kind of tag team with the rest of your band. Like one guy goes and drops all the amps and pedal boards up while you're doing your corpse paint. And then, then you swap and he does his and you kind of work that all together. I think you reach a point where the actual application of the corpse paint takes two minutes. Like you just slap it on and, mm. it, and you know, you can get it looking right. I guess when you're doing it every night, it doesn't take too long. It's tricky too. Cause you don't, you don't want to do too, too much black. Cause you do too much black with no white. It just becomes like hollowed holes where your eyes are. Like you need to almost like get a bit of a, a base white. First yeah. That's that then... like war metal thing where they don't do the white. They just do black. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's like a whole like sub scene of black metal. Like blasphemy, impiety kind of thing. They're like, we don't do any of that white shit, just black. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that makes sense. Um, all right, cool. So then you, you you said you've been in some bands since then. What did you do in this little gap between Earthrot, like in this in your mid-20s? Um, I had joined a band, like an established band in Perth called Sensory Amusia. And so they were doing something that was like way more modern than anything I'd done before. It was like influenced. It was. I hate to use the term genty, but that was the thing that was big at the time. Like there was kind of like much more modern influences in metal instead of doing things that were like old school or going like deeper and darker it was things that were much brighter there were like some periphery vibes there was more even like the, the mid-era mashuga kind of thing um and then slowly that lent into this like revocation cattle decapitation kind of thing and mixed together in a big jug and then that's what the band was <laughs> And how long did that go for? Did that, that, that was another about three years. So we started doing international touring and like my first Aussie tours and stuff were all with Sensory Amusia. And that ended, we we spent a long time working on our, on our debut album. A very long time working on our debut album. And I think it just kind of took us, took its toll on the band and we stopped kind of working together. And 
It was one of those things that when you're doing your first full-length album, there's so many mistakes you can make. And I think we made every single one of them twice. Ooh, run me through some of those mistakes. What are something that, if, you, if listeners, if you're about to do <laughs> your first full-length, what can you avoid? What can you try not to do? Uh, for us, I think a lot of it was like planning. We just decided we were going to do things the way we'd been recording them for demos. Like we were going to record guitar and then you know, record it with one thing and then go reamp it with something totally different. And then the reaction that you're getting out of the amp just didn't sound or feel the same. And then it's not really capturing what you're putting out there. So mm. from then we started recording, like recording our demos and recording our pre-production and scratch tracks with the actual amp or like a pretty close tone to what we want on the album. So that when you do reamp and, you know, change the mics and all the preamps around, you're only refining and bettering what you're doing rather than quite altering, drastically altering the sounds. Yeah, yeah. Um, drums, I think we'd done twice. Two different different drum kits, different rooms, different studios, and just different results coming out of that. Yeah. So, but that was a, a genre where there was, a, like, every band at the time was just programming drums. This is... Easy Drummer was huge. Everyone would just program drums. It's just what it was. It's what you did. Mm. And we decided so much that we didn't want to do that, that we wanted our drummer to play on it. Um, but we didn't really have the knowledge of how to do an organic acoustic drum kit. And so, because of that, we ended up doing it twice. <laughs> oh, brutal. Which is... That's not a cheap thing to do. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, so then what? So at the end of that album, so the album like came out, like, you, you know, you said you played some tours. The album came some... out. We went to Japan. Um, we did a festival in Indonesia. We did a couple of shows over here in Victoria. And it was, that was around about the time we'd wrap. Oh, we played South Korea as well on that one. That was sick. That's awesome, dude. Yeah. So how'd you get hooked up with all these uh, international, specifically like kind of Asian country shows? That's pretty cool, man. Like The first one I did, I was actually filling in for a band in Perth called Devour the Martyr. They'd called me up and said, hey, what are you doing in two weeks? I'm like, well, nothing. I'm on uni break. I got absolutely nothing going on. I said, well, do you want to come to Japan? We've got six shows uh, and our set is half an hour. And it's about four songs. I go, okay. What, what's the catch? And they're like, we'll pay you for your flights. We just need someone that can do it. And we know that you're going to want to do this tour. I'm like, well, why? Why am I going to want to do this tour? And like, well, the headlining band's one of your favorite death metal bands. The headlining band's aborted. I'm going, well, all right. Yep. Okay, cool. Send me the tabs. I'll learn the songs. Let's do it. It always comes Immediately back to tabs said, with you. Yeah, let's do it. What's the quickest and easiest way I can learn these songs? Send me some tabs. And so, yeah, I spent two weeks just learning the songs, flew to Japan and did this tour and fell in love with the country, the people, the touring agency uh, at the time, I think, was called Chaotic Tapestry and then BNF, but that's currently actually Soundworks Direct Japan. Oh, whoa! Yeah, so right. this is all coming like full circle from the the Perth boy. So Benneth, who runs Soundworks Soundworks Direct, presents Japan, uh, was the tour manager and ran the tour for that aborted tour that I did my first time first time to Japan, my first time playing shows outside of Australia. And then since then, we just got on like house on fire. Love spending time there. Love spending time with each other. Met up a few more times on in Indonesia, Hamasonic Festival. And then went, brilliant, I got another band. We're going to come back. <laughs> went back with that band. Went, brilliant, I got another band. We're going to come back. <laughs> Came back to Perth, told all my friends. I'm like, oh, you guys got to try going to Japan. It's so good here. Oh, dude. You should go. Yeah. Dude, that's so good. And like... Uh, it- I've been to Japan as a fun punter on holiday. You know what I mean? But being able to do it as a band would be so cool. Like Black Elm dudes have told stories about playing shows in Japan, just being like 
gracious wild audiences and like just having the best time over there as a band like as a band dude like it's that unbelievable must be it's, it, awesome, it's a totally different world hey I, I i can't summarize japan as a country in in any short sentences it's just it's so wild and it's, it's just such like a crazy the, place it's the future essentially is what i think of when i think of japan like everything when you're just like what why don't we have this over back in australia like why yeah. don't we have any of the shit that you guys have here like it's not like it's a secret like we could just get yeah. fancy toilet seats we could just do it you know you we, can get them you can get them shipped here and you just i guess need a plumber and electrician and i would love that yeah it's like my the, favorite the, thing the seat warmers i, I, I like the music I want to be like, okay, cool. This is going to be a big one. I want to press a button on the toilet that plays some riffs. I don't know if that helps it comes out or if it's, a, I think it's like a politeness thing. So you Yeah, can, I think it's a politeness yeah, thing, you so know, no. like you don't want to hear people just hearing the plops, you know, it's like, it's all about just, you know. Well, that's why I think they'd really benefit from a little bit of heavy metal on the toilet seats over there. They fucking should. You wouldn't hear, you wouldn't hear plops. There would be only blast beats. <laughs> a couple of bass drops, help it get out. So let's get let's get to Earth right now. So like, when did that finally happen? So you're like, I need to start a band again with Tom. I miss him. I'm in love with him. You know, like I just need to. <laughs> like, what was that click moment when Harry met Sally again? We were. I was playing in Sensory Musia, and we were at the point where we'd done our album twice. We'd released it. It taken a lot out of us, and we're like, oh, let's do some some different stuff on the side. And Tom had Tom was still in Advent Sorrow at the time, and feeling much the same thing. We're like, why don't we play some riffs together again? And so we kind of grabbed we grabbed members out of like all other bands in Perth that we could poach. So our first lineup, our first actual lineup for playing shows was Chris, the drummer from my previous band, Sensory Musia. Uh, myself and Tom used to play in Advent Sorrow together. The other guitarist, David, Tom played in a death metal band called Inanimacy together. And then our bass player, Jim Parker from uh, Entrails Eradicated, Claim the Throne, Distant Tomb... I don't know who he's played for everyone. Mm. I think he's playing for like abominable trinity in the US at the moment. And Jim's always got some stuff going on. Fuck yeah. And so we just slapped this band together and went, brilliant. There it is. That's a band. Well, I guess we start with an EP and put the EP out at our first show. And second show, we flew to South Korea and did a festival with Dark Tranquility. <laughs> Holy fuck. That's yeah. amazing. Which is funny considering Advent Sorrow, the band that we were working on, like close to a decade before was the one that was actually influenced by Dark Tranquility and then Earthrot wasn't, but still couldn't pass up the opportunity. It was too good. <laughs> that's fucking sweet, man. So when you recorded the EP and had it ready for the first show, that's a bold move, like to just come out of the gate with like tracks, here they are. Like if you, if you ever listen to our first EP Dirt, there's four songs and there's four totally different songs. It's, it's like there's, there's kind of like there's a Doomy song there's a black metal song, there's a death metal song, and then there's a grind song. And it's because we had no idea what we were actually doing. We didn't know what Earthrot was going to be musically at that point. Mm. We just knew that we were going to play riffs together. We knew we wanted to use a HM2 because we'd been listening to a bunch of like Rotten Sound and, you know, Love Bloodbath, which is where we where we ganked the name from. And just went, cool, we're doing this, I guess. Let's do a bit of grind. Let's do a bit of, bit of everything. Yeah. And the EP is literally everything. It has no... I don't think it has any idea what it is. Like... It's it's it is it's it's funny because like I mean when you get into these like subgenres of metal and what you know label Nazis want to call Earthrot or call certain bands yeah. like what would you call Earthrot like if, you know when that you know if like if your logo was unreadable and then in brackets it would be like crushing brutality from Perth slash Melbourne or whatever like what would what would you what would you what do you refer so to the, like that's one thing that did stick around from MySpace is that how to describe a subgenre of a band you get three 
You get three because that's what it was on MySpace. You had three options. You yeah. could go, it was death, it was black, it was heavy, it was death, death metal, black metal, thrash metal, whatever. And everything had some slashes in there. So yeah. when we first started, it was death, black, grind, doom. It was them <laughs> with a bit of rock and roll. <laughs> it was that all together. And now I think we either go by, we have been going by blackened death metal, mm. but. That's kind of a subgenre of its own that we don't really fit into. Like the black and death metal bands like, you know, like Behemoth and Hate and, you know, kind of Belfagor have Dark Funeral lean into that a bit. But we don't really sound like any of those bands specifically. So mm. I think Tom got really cooked the other night and then sent us a message in the band group chat and he goes, I figured it out, guys. I've got it figured <laughs> out. I know what we're doing. It's not black and death metal. It's death and black metal. <laughs> And we've gone, all right, man. And then yeah. I noticed the next day he's gone on the Instagram and I like, changed the description of the band to Death and Black Metal. <laughs> and it's even, probably still there. We haven't, I don't think we've changed it. I don't back. think you should ever change. You should put that on a fucking t-shirt, man. You know, yeah, like down, th- down a sleeve, you know? I think that is, that is probably a better description of what we do. Like more of our, more of our riffs and our actual like song construction is black metal root but because we use hm2 which is the classic entomb dismember guitar tone mm. uh, i do low vocals and not exclusively high stuff people just go oh that's death metal i know that to be death metal but really the actual like construction and the and the riff writing it's way more black metal than it is death metal so i think that probably describes it like 51 percent black metal 49 <laughs> percent death <laughs> that's so good and I, what i love about um about you guys is I was listening to the last album, new albums coming out very soon, but the last one I was listening to it today and just being re- like remembering how like there's those bits, like you've got that sax solo in the middle there. You got that flamenco song towards the end. I'm like, Oh, this is a bit, this is a bit fun. Like you, you don't really subscribe to those rules regardless. Like it might be like 49% and then like, 40% and then like a little bit of just whatever the fuck you're feeling like at the a, time, you a know? dusting like, of something stupid. Yeah, yeah. we've always, um, I think with Earthrot, one of the things we did is from that first EP where we had way too many influences, way too many styles put together. We never really put that away and said, well, look where we need to do a death metal album. It has to be a death metal album or we need to do a black metal album because that's what we're doing now. We always just kind of wrote whatever we wrote. And sometimes you're sitting there listening to a song and you go, I don't know. I feel like it needs a classical guitar solo. I just think it does. And then you pick one up and you play it and you go, no, that's exactly what I think it needed. Mm. Um, The sax solo was... (laughs) The sax solo, we had Jürgen Munkeby from Shining from Norway play the solo on uh, The Bones That Lay Beneath the Earth off Renaissantia. And we thought that was so funny because we just toured Japan with Shining from Sweden. And so we're like, let's let's get let's get the guy from Shining from Norway to play on the album. Because that would be brilliant. And that probably I don't think anyone else would have ever picked that up and except for us, except and, for like and, the four guys in the band. And people listening to this podcast now. Yeah. <laughs> and we thought that was so funny. But also because we're like huge black jazz fans, like we love his work, we love his band. And the man is an insanely good sax player. Like he just has, he has his own style. And you know, you hear that a lot in guitarists, like lead guitarists and in vocalists that just have their own thing going on. They got their own stank about it. This dude has his own stank about playing like contemporary saxophone. Mm. And I was like, okay, I need that. That's that's the thing we need to drop on our album. Well, that's it. And it doesn't feel out of place in that album at all. Like, which is weird because if you said, oh, Earthrot's got a song with some sax in it, you'd be like, what the fuck? But then you hear it and you go, oh, dude, that's really cool. Like, like, that's kind of exactly what it needed. Yeah. How do you know, like, when it needs sax? Like, d- did you know it needed sax or did you want to break the album kind of in half and have like a little interlude bit? Like, what was that? What was that thing that you 
because I'm assuming you'd have a bunch of songs written and then you're like, we need to put something in the middle there. You know, like- the, the song was kind of the whole thing. So it's the bones that lay beneath the earth and bestial shadow forest together was like yeah. one song. And once we realized like the kind of length of this song and like, well, we can play the second half, but I don't really want to play the first half live. And I thought, well, what's another way to ensure that we won't play it live <laughs> is to put something that we can't play live on it. I'm like, I know exactly what it needs to be. It's going to be saxophone. Yeah. I've always wanted to put saxophone on a metal album, on a metal record of mine. Um, there's so many, like every time you hear sax out of nowhere on a metal release, it's just, it's, it just feels good deep down. Like Cephalic Carnage, Rivers of Nile, they just do such a great job of it. And we had an opportunity and it just felt like the, the song, if you listen to that segment without the saxophone, it's crying out for something. And we were honestly tossing up between getting uh, Peter Hus from Shining from Sweden to do a guitar solo there. And I, I reckon we would have just been drunk, having, hanging out, having beers. And we've gone, what if we got the guy from the other Shining to do it instead? <laughs> yes, let's do it. Let's send him an email. See if he'll do it. Um, and yeah, a friend of a friend just like tagged him, tagged me in a post of his on Facebook where he goes, guess what? I'm doing guest sax solos. Like... You know, um, I've got downtime from tour. Hit me up. Yeah, hit me up. I've got a home recording studio. This is what I've got. These are the other things I've done. I'll do it. Let's do it. And so we got in touch and immediately he goes, yep, cool. No problems. It's done. Let's do a sax solo. Let's do it for Earthrot. That's fucking sweet, man. I'm so glad you did that. And you had the balls to do that as well. Because I feel like there'd be a lot of metal dudes who'd be like, oh, no, I'm not doing that. You know, like... There's a lot of rules in heavy metal. There are so many rules in what you can and can't do in heavy metal. And what's black metal and what's death metal. Oh, and it's so funny as well that we were talking about these rules before this podcast started. And I think it's funny that like we all kind of adhere to them. But then you see someone break a rule. And then it's like, oh, it's open season, is it? And then everyone will start doing certain things. Like when... Even when it comes to like merch designs or like album covers, all these things, it's like once someone does it, that's like balls enough to be like, no, I'm just going to like print it on a white shirt. And then it's yeah. like all of a sudden it's like white shirts are in and it's like or all of a sudden, you know, whatever. It's just about having the, I guess, yeah, like the courage or, or being, I guess, maybe just confident in your own shit that it's like, this is going to be good. Yeah, sometimes people like, especially in metal, like to deliberately go outside of the box, outside of the rules and go, well, everyone is doing this. Let's do whatever they're not doing. Metalheads mm. love to do whatever people are not doing. It's what heavy metal is. It's, mm, which it's is- a genre that people are not listening to. And therefore we're all going to listen to it. <laughs> but- which is funny, which is why, yeah, exactly. It's, it comes from a, a world of people who want to get away from the rules, but then they create new rules and they've created so many rules but it is nice when it takes one band that has the right idea at the right time and they go look people have been doing x for so long what if instead of doing corpse painted black metal with the same norway blast that was perfected in the 90s and was done in the 90s and will remain in the 90s (laughs) what if we did something else with it what if we fused death metal with it and created this new thing and like Mm. that's where you have bands like behemoth that have become this gigantic powerhouse of a band that started off doing black metal as we know it, like quite traditional black metal. And now they do, I think they do whatever the hell they want. They, you know, they write big songs that make stadiums come alive mm. because they can, because they felt like doing it. And because again, like Nurgle had this idea in his mind and went out and did it. And so every now and again, you get this, this artist that'll come up with something or just open a door and go, no, instead of doing it, like the rules say, I'm going to do it this way. And then everyone else goes, well, holy shit. We can go outside. We can change the rule. We can break the rules. And then they break the rules in the same way for a, rhyme, for a while. <laughs> and we get a, a whole scene of bands that have broken the same one rule and do the same thing. But 
I think like over time you'll get more people kind of breaking down what they think there's genre of heavy metal is supposed to be and looking at other things and doing them if they can or doing them if they want to. Mm. Like I'm still like one of my favorite things is to see like a classic nineties black metal band. I want them to sound like a dark throne record live. Like I want it to be so harsh that you watch half an hour of it and go, I'm so glad it was only half an hour because my ears hurt because that is so harsh. (laughs) Totally man. And it's like, Oh, it's, it's super interesting as the lines blur as we go, I think it, the lines are just getting blurrier and blurrier. Like growing totally. up, it was like, well, it was, it was weird. Cause you'd have like, you'd have mixed bills, you know, and like coming from Geelong, there's a lot of hardcore and metalcore. Sure. And there was also like, you know, straight up metal and you'd mix all those things together. But it was always like a, I'm here in this group representing my tribe, you yes. know, of like my thing. But now it's like those lines have completely blurred where it's like, I wouldn't know who's in what scene or who's like, but whereas back in the day, it was very much like, I'm a part of this little sub niche genre in my little town. That's it. And then it's like, you know, and I do that thing and I like these things and I do that. But now it's like, Oh fuck. I don't know whether it's, it's definitely collective as a consciousness because we've all done it. Like we've all kind of just come out the other side and we're all just into everything. I think, I don't know. Maybe there are some hardline dudes still floating around that are like specifically one thing, you know, but as genres like you guys keep kind of bending and twisting and like it just becomes something else you know like we're all just in it doing different stuff but it's the same stuff but it's you know like it's super interesting definitely definitely i just think that's one thing that people in metal are especially people creating metal today make a conscious effort to do i think people really try to open up what metal is and what they can do as musicians and as as you know like listeners as well to create something that that's new some something that's different something that will i don't know like encourage or entice a different part of each person out of themselves mm. yeah what do you think those things are like like creativity or like yeah just- yeah I, th- I think things like creativity and like just like opening people's minds to different ideas because if you can open their mind to a different idea inside of their little world of heavy metal and go well what if what if instead of only having like harsh yelled vocals, like in thrash metal. What if we did like dark, deep, demonic, low stuff like death metal? What if we did really shrill high stuff like black metal? What if we actually yelled, but put a bit of pitch in it and sung a note like, uh, like in bands like Gojira? Mm. What if we did all of them together and then we did some clean singing? What if we did all of these things? You can. And there's so many bands that I remember like when growing up, bands kind of did one thing with their vocals. Mm. They did one or the other. And then metalcore came along and they were kind of doing like scream vocals and singing. Mm. And now there's there's vocalists out there like the latest Cattle Decapitation album, which has like every single vocal idea that you can think of. And this guy's dropped it on a whole album. I mean, for the last three albums and just gone, how the hell do you feel about that? And everyone's gone, this is amazing. This is exactly what I've been wanting for years. Can we all do this now? We're all going to do this now. You've, yeah, you've broken gonna... this rule, Travis Ryan, and now we're all going to do this. We're going to do this for the next 10 years until... Summer. We're all going to try. Give me 10 years to get up there. And then we'll be doing it. And then like 10 years from that, people will be He'll like, have something else. He'll have something brand new. Yeah, exactly. Like, And that's I guess that's what's really nice about those people that are always going to keep pushing forward and keep looking to the next thing. Is that they're not thinking about how is this going to affect the scene around me. It's like... I'm just going to fucking do this because that's what I want. Yeah, I'm doing this because I want, because I can, because it's what the song calls for, because it sounds good, because it feels good. (laughs) Speaking of the songs feeling good, tell us about this new album. So there's a new album coming out. It's very soon on the horizon. Yeah, March 6th. The album's called Black Tides of Obscurity. It comes out on Season of Mist. 
Uh, it's the first album that we've written with the current Earthrot lineup. So we've been a band for about six years mm-hmm. and we've had our current lineup for almost, for about four of those years. But when I, when Daniel joined, our previous album, Renaissance was already recorded with Rob Brenz on drums. Mm-hmm. And then we did an EP and then slowly got around. We did a ton of touring and then got to putting this album out together. But it's really the thing that represents the four guys that are in Earthrot. It's the it's it is Earthrot. Like it could almost have been a self-titled album. It's what Earthrot is. It's what it always was. We were just taking our time to figure that out, and yeah. now we found it and we put it down. Exactly. I was just about to say that sounds great. Considering you were talking about before it being something that you didn't really know what Earthrot was, but now you kind of lock that down. This death end. Black metal. Death and black metal, I guess. Yeah. So is that the sound in like is there any is there any exciting stuff to look forward to? Like a like like a sax solo? You got some more sax in there or got any like classical guitar? We have or- one guest on the new album, and it's a guest spoon section. <laughs> Our good friend Christian from Tolke uh played a spoon section on and it's the very closing segment of the album on the final track. So does that mean you're not going to play it live because you're not going to have someone do spoons? Well, the thing is, there's actually no other percussion on the song. It is just spoons at the end. So we could play it. I mean, Daniel would have to he'd have to pick up some old spoons and learn how to play them. But I think we could do it. If, I, look I think if, to pe- it. if people love the song, the song is something wildly different for Earthrod. It's definitely not at all something we've done before. There's no like, there's no death metal singing. There's no, there's no like, you know, gnarly lows or highs. There's no distorted guitars in any way on this closing track. Um, instrumentation totally different to what we've used before, and no percussion, just the spoons. If if people love it, I'd be so happy to play it live. We wrote it again. This is another one of those we just did what we felt like. We did whatever, whatever sounded good, whatever felt like the right vibe for the whole album. We came up with the song that. Without without giving it away, it's it's not it's not a metal song, and it's mm. the closing song on a very heavy metal album. But that's kind of nice sometimes, right? To give it like a little bit of time to breathe, or like a little bit of meditation at the end of a brutal album. Just yeah. be like, oh yeah, cool. It's like a nice wind. It's like the credit song, you know. It's like yeah. a, you know, you don't want to have just be. I don't know. Maybe you do want to be blasted till the very end, and then this, the the record stops. And, and we've done like, that before, yeah. for sure. I think that's the other thing as well. It's a different end for us. It's a different end to an album. But I think I'm hoping people enjoy it as much as we enjoyed writing it, as much as we think it suits the closing of the album. I, if people honestly, if people like it as like like it that much, we will learn how to play it live. We, we will go back and go, on, oh, how, do, how did that go again? And we'll figure it out. We'll spend a day working it out and we'll start playing it live. <laughs> so tell us about the recording process of this one. Like now you've got all like the members are, it, you know, it's like the Earth Run its current lineup doing an album. Like where'd you record it? Like how long did it take? Was it something that you learned a lot from your previous bands not to fuck it up? And- oh, definitely, definitely. So we recorded drums with Troy McCosker at Pony in, um, in Melbourne. So our drummer Daniel lives in Melbourne. At the time, he was the only one living in Melbourne before I moved over. Mm-hmm. So I flew over and we spent maybe a week and a half here getting things sorted, getting drums recorded, getting them edited. And then I flew back to Perth and we started doing guitars, vocals, bass, just at home. We recorded them at my house and Colin's house and then went into a studio to do reamps. I think we probably spent about three months doing that, just on and off, like, you know, on one, one day a week here and there, just doing them as we found the time slowly piecing it all together. And I think come December, we were in no rush because we had we had no label at the time. We had no one booked to mix or master. We were just, we knew we were doing an album because we had the time, we had the songs, it was time to get it done. Mm. So we got it all recorded. It was the end of November 
we did a 20, almost 24 hour day session of reamping, getting all of our guitar tones and getting them sorted. Packed that up. I flew to Melbourne the very next day, moved straight to Melbourne. <laughs> and then, and then we posted a hard drive, um, to our mix and master engineer, um, with Cola, who did the last, uh, last couple of aborted and benighted records, the ones that sold us on it. We hit him up and we said, Hey, we've got this album. We'd really love the work that you've done with the bands that we love. Are you interested? He goes, I don't really feel like doing a death metal album right now. And I went, Oh, Oh, it's kind of not, it's not really a death metal album. It's a bit blackened. Yeah. And he's gone, yeah, I'll have a listen. And he's listened to it and he's gone, you're right. It's not really a death metal album. Um, but it kind of is, but I'll do it. Yeah. Great. And then we started working together. So we posted him the hard drive and he got, he got to work on it. Spent the next, you know, the next few months kind of on and off getting, getting it mixed, getting it mastered. And then, then that was it. Then that was go time. Start shopping it around. Find someone that wants to release it. Someone that likes this album as much as we do. And then how did that happen to get on Seasons of Miss? Like, how did that, like... We'd spoken to them about the previous album. Um, so our previous album was uh, mixed by Eric Rattan from Hate Eternal. He's done... Hate Eternal, Cannibal Corpse, Belphegor, Goat Horse, so many bands that we love. And uh, they didn't grab the last one. It wasn't, wasn't the right time, wasn't their vibe. And then when we sent them this one, we got a response really quickly going, yeah, yeah, this is cool. I like That's this. Great. Let's Let's talk to everyone else at the label and we'll get back to you. Uh, and at the same time, we had a few other labels kind of interested that have gone, yeah, I think I like it. Um, yeah, 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 I do like it. I'm like, okay, well, we've got definite yeah on one side and a, and a couple other people going, yeah, sort of. Sort of, yeah. Mm. This is around the middle of the year when there's kind of gearing up to festival season in Europe and getting responses from labels suddenly started to get, I think, you know, it becomes less of a priority as they get busier with the summer over there. Mm. And I had a, had a Skype meeting with Michael at Season Mist. Had a great meeting, just had a good chat. He said, you know, talking about what the band is, what we want to do. Are we the kind of band that's going to release this thing and, you know, sit on the internet making videos or are we going to go out there and we're going to tour? I said, ideally, I want to be the band that go out and tour and then when we go home, then make some videos. Good answer. Yeah. Well, that's, that. that's the truest answer. That's the truest answer for us. Like, we're based in Perth and Melbourne. Every show is a fly show. There's no drive to your local venue to play a gig, you know, once a month or whatever. We don't have that option. So, everything is almost a tour already. Mm. So we and if might, you're going to fly, you might as well fucking might as well fly. fly to Europe. You might as well fly to Japan. You might as well fly to the US and Canada. And that's the plan. So that's really exciting, man. Like, so then what are the, what are the next couple of months looking like before the release? Like, wait, wait, was it come out? March 6th, did you March say? March 6th. So yeah. that's pretty so fucking two, soon. Two and, a, two and a half weeks. So what's happening between now and then? Is it all go time? Like, oh, it's just all organized everything. We've got shows around Australia. So we've got Perth, Brisbane, Melbourne, and Adelaide in that first weekend. Um, and it's all just all systems go, get everything sorted, get all of our merch in. We got pre-orders and stuff to post out. So it's kind of all systems go on the album release side of things. And then we're going to celebrate by playing shows with literally a, like 10 of our favorite bands around Australia, Christ Dismembered, playing all the shows with us. And then after that, it'll be harass everyone, uh, everyone that we know in the rest of the world and take the album to Europe. That's sick. absolutely the next the next thing we're Have trying to Have you played to Europe before? We've done two Europe tours. So our first one, we toured an all-Australian bill. It was Thy Art is Murder, Aversion's Crown, Feeder to the Sharks, and Earthrot. Wow. Which is such a mixed bill. But yeah. it was so much fun. We spent three weeks in a Nightliner bus together playing shows around Europe, and it was wild. It was so good. 
And what was the other one? The other one was uh, 2017 when we released Renaissance. We did a month in Europe with Gorgoroth, Melikesh, and Insight from the US. Wow. And that was pretty wild. Fuck. That's crazy. You guys have done some shit. We've done some shit, yeah. We have, we have like really taken our opportunities. When things have come up, we've just said yes and figured out how to do it later. Mm. Yeah, like, for example, the Gorgoroth tour, we were on our way to play a show in Hobart, our first show in Hobart, and we're at the airport in Perth and the emails come through with a tour offer. Gorgoroth and Melikesh, a month in Europe in a couple of weeks. Do you guys want to do it? And so I'm replying as we're walking, like as I'm boarding, like getting my pass scan. I'm yeah, like, yes, yes, yes. We're doing the tour. I'm saying yes. I'm flying right now because we're playing a show. I'll reply to you in three and a half hours when the plane lands and I get phone signal again. Um, yes. But don't, it's, it's yeah, yes, don't, don't discount this do three not hours. Give this, do not give this slot to anyone else because I want to do it. We are saying yes to doing it. It's going to happen. I'll, I'll talk to you later. And so we're, I'm sitting there for three hours unable to sleep, which I desperately needed on a nice red eye, red eye flight. Get to Melbourne, open up, and there's no email there. And I've gone, oh, crap, here we go. Get on the Wi-Fi and realize it was just my phone signal. Emails come through and he's going, yeah, cool, that's no problem. Hey, great to hear. Send us some stuff. Send us your logo. Let's do it. And that was it. And I was like, okay, brilliant. All right, we're doing it. Shit, now we yeah. got to book flights. Shit, now we got to figure out how to do this. Yeah, how do we? How do we get to Europe again? And what about like you were saying that? Um, uh, we'll, we'll get into your profession, your your passion of sure. merchandise soon. But um, everyone else in the band has like job jobs. Yes. So like, how do they go taking time off to go to Europe for like a month? Two of the guys work for government jobs that have pretty good leave allowances. So for them getting some time off work. It's not a huge problem. You know, they might have to move around some leave or kind of beg a coworker to swap a week out with them or something, you know, like be yeah. just be the nicest employees that the, that have ever been. Uh, and then someone else was pretty ready to quit their job and they've gone, hey, I'm going to Europe for a month. Um, we leave in like three weeks or, or four weeks. And his boss just went, yeah, okay. He's like, whoa, really? <laughs> All right. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, thanks. You can take, I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, thanks. And another thing. Wait, really? <laughs> And so, yeah, we just, like, it just fell into, like, everything fell into place. We had the time. We went and did it. Fuck yeah, dude. That's, that's how it is. That's amazing. Yeah. So, like, I think it's funny, like, when you talk about it with such uh, confidence of just like, yeah, we'll just get on some bills in Europe and stuff. I was like, that sounds harder than it is. But now it's like, you've already done that shit. Like, this this just would be normal now, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, like- it's still, like, the the tours, they kind of, like, your, your offer gets a little better every time. Um, for us, it's about finding one with bands that are going to work with us and for us, like bands that we're really going to hit the same markets together mm. and maybe even looking for tours that hit countries that we think are going to be really strong for us. Yeah. So, uh, and then if it doesn't, I guess we look at maybe flying into some of the countries that we've missed and playing them with a local band that we that we know and love from there. So, for example, like our number one country right now on Spotify from the singles from our new album is Finland. Oh, really? Yeah, which is fantastic. Which, but we've never been there and it's a hard one to reach. But we've got some friends in bands there. So it's like, okay, well, if we get a tour and it doesn't go there, maybe we fly in and try and do two or three shows there just to, just to hit it and, and see this new country, play with these bands that we love. And That's cr- Finland is like your... Finland. Number one city for us as a band right now um, on Spotify plays is Helsinki by quite a way. Anyone listening in Finland, thank you for listening to this podcast. I'm assuming Jared's Thank you, gonna- everyone from Finland. <laughs> That's fucking crazy. Yeah. And like, how do you think that happens? Is that just organically through like related artists on Spotify and things like that? I like- think so. I think uh, it must just be because like there's some some bands and some sounds and some cities where one thing just works for them. Like I remember mm. when we did our first Euro tour 
and we played in Sweden and we just had this outrageous response. Like kids were just showing up early to watch us. I'm like, how do you know who we are? We have one album and like we're from Perth. We are from nowhere in Australia. Like you couldn't, you could, if we said we're from Perth in Australia, do you know where that is? They'll say, no, I know where Melbourne is or I know where Sydney is. Mm. And they might even get them wrong because <laughs> it's so far away. But Perth, it's like, no one knows where that is. Um, yeah. And so it just, it's a matter of what we're playing is a thing that maybe because our influences are, are so Scandinavian, we have the black metal stuff from Norway, the death metal stuff from Sweden, you kind of put them together. So when we go over there, people hear like, aspects of the things that they grew up listening to aspects of the style of music that they love that bands do over there only put together in a slightly different way and it just clicks and they hear it and go brilliant this is this is what i want to listen to yeah that's uh, brings up a, a point i was going to mention earlier about perth like perth itself is such a strange place because it's so isolated it almost has its own little scene its own little pockets of things that like you know it just it, it's in a league of its own in a in a weird little way like it is i always think that perth is a lot like uh like just like country towns in australia that you get a lot of killer musicians out of them and a lot of really creative bands because there is nothing else to do there mm. and so you sit in a shed or in a garage with a guitar and a drum kit and you just play until you come up with something and that's why there's so many killer bands that have come out of Perth over the years, like yeah. across all genres. Do you think it's just out of boredom? I just think there's nothing else to do. If, if you don't love surfing, what else are you going to do in Perth? You're going to go to the mines and work and make good money in the mines. Mm. But then you'll be out in the mines. Yeah. You can't play fucking guitar out there. Yeah, you can take one, but it's really hard to get to shows. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, because that's like an interesting little yeah pocket that like, you know, there are so many good musicians and good bands coming out of Perth. And it's like, yeah, I wonder what was going on over there. But you think it's... What's in the water? Yeah. We do have fluoride in the water in Perth. Do you? Yeah. Is that is that a good thing or a bad thing for you? I think it's a bad thing. I don't yeah, know. I think it's All a bad the research thing says it's a bad thing. Yeah. I think it doesn't actually yeah. help your teeth at all. Like, yeah. It doesn't. And like most of the country doesn't have it in their water, but we do in Perth. But maybe the fluoride makes you riff. Mm, kills that third eye, but then kills the ability. I mean, brings up some ability to riff, but you know, I don't know. Maybe you're just not getting that tool shit anymore you know because you don't have the third eye because the calcification yeah that's true mm. but then there is carnival they've got some third eye going on so. oh yeah there's a lot of third eye going on in that yeah. shit oh yeah right of course because like you were talking about birds of tokyo as well before of course. Like, oh fucking perth people yeah what else is what else are you proud of to hang your hat on with perth which is like we got this we got so many cool bands from perth i worked a festival the other day and there were like three bands from perth playing like, this is wild like psychedelic porn crumpets uh-huh are they from a- perth yeah Fuck, nice yeah. work. Perth. What oh, else? What else? Tame Impala and Pond and that kind of scene. They're all they're all Perth based stuff, like Fremantle kinda I don't know how best to describe them. Fremantle indie bands. There's a big scene of that. Mm. Oh, what else? There's a lot of killer stuff in, in hardcore as well. There was like a, a, a big run that's like Make Them Suffer and Saviour and Cursed Earth and things like that, doing doing big things in the hardcore scene in Australia. Yeah, fucking oath. You, uh, stuff. you don't. Yeah, you don't need to give me any more. I'll, I'll put you on the spot That's there, and you did a great job. I was going to say I got like two more, but then they go back into heavy metal bands. <laughs> that's everything I know outside of heavy metal. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, fuck, that's that's great. So tell us about. So you moved to Melbourne. So you moved to Melbourne in like what December? December twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what was that? What was that a hard decision for you to be like? I got to go. Or the, was the thing like- that happened is we just done in October twenty eighteen. We'd done the Australian New Zealand tour with Dimmerborgia. Dimmerborgia were like, such a huge influence on me, on the band, such like almost directly responsible for me listening to heavy metal as a kid. Mm. And we got this tour, we did this national tour with them. And I remember this show in Sydney, 
We're at the Metro. Which I was at, by the way. Yeah, that was a fantastic show. God, <laughs> yeah, I love that yeah. show. And we're loading all the all of Dimu's backline and all of our backline and just everything, the staging, everything into trucks with the whole crew. And we're all we're all hands on deck, you know, half of it's our gear anyway. So of course we're gonna sit there and throw it in the back of the truck. And we had this huge show, like nearly eleven hundred people. It was gigantic. We sold a ton of merch. We had a hell of a good time. Yeah, had you a guys, couple of beers. You were like, having a good time up we there. Were like a yeah. good time. <laughs> and we loaded this truck up and once we closed the doors and just latched it up, all I could think was, Man, I've had a fantastic day. This is such a good day. And like not just the actual show part, but just the working the show part, being a part of live music and being a part of heavy metal and just helping bring it to people. And then I was back in Perth just working, you know, at my job. All I could think was, man, I really wish I was just like, you know, slinging t-shirts at a show or like, you know, setting up stage, like, you know, setting up drum kits and cabs and stuff on stage and helping music happen. I thought, well, maybe I should go where there's more music. And there's really not many places in the world where there is as much live music as Melbourne. Yeah, wow. Yeah, like there's really, it's like a pretty wild amount of live music going on here. Not just like international tours of bands like that, but like local bands Mm. and solo artists and everything. There is so much music happening here. I thought if I want to do more of it, I have to go where there's more of it to do. And Melbourne was the obvious choice. Obviously, Daniel, our drummer, already lived here. So I'm like, well, it's not going to impact the band at all because we're already based in Perth and Melbourne. And now it'll just be 50-50. If anything, that'll make it easier because when the guys from Perth come over, we've got an extra place for them to stay. You know, we can buy cabs and, you know, have a full back line here and in mm. Perth. Mm. And I reached a point where I was working and I went, yeah, I think I'm going to do that. What were, you, what were you doing at the time? What job were you doing? I was actually running a burger restaurant that is owned and operated by uh, Brad from Soundworks Direct Touring. <laughs> <laughs> Bullshit. Yeah, I was kind of running front of house there in, uh, in Brad's burger restaurant. What's the burger joint called for the, anyone? The shop is called Bumpin' Burger. Anyone from Perth will absolutely have already been there. And anyone that's going to Perth should absolutely go to Bumpin' Burger. It's it's wildly good food. Um, this was my this was my day job. Yeah. I love the people I worked with. And was it a coincidence that it was run by Brad? Or did he, like, did you know each other beforehand? Well, like- we, we knew each other beforehand. So I would have first met Brad, so I would have been 13, I reckon. And I was rehearsing with my brother's band at Soundworks rehearsal studios in Joondalup. So I think before they started touring bands, they had rehearsal rooms. And that's where I first would have met him. And then it's, you know, you just, Perth, Perth is, it's, it's a big place for music, but it's also a small city. You will bump into everyone again. And then we were going to Soundworks shows from, you know, from the second I turned 18 onwards. Every show they did, I would go to. Mm. Um, you know, we played a show for them. Uh, I think... It might have been. I think it was Mayhem was the one that we did. It was yeah. It was the it was the Mayhem tour with Bolzer and Ruins, but Ruins didn't come to Perth, so we managed to squeeze our way onto that bill. Played this show. <laughs> it was like this is brilliant. This is so much fun. And Brad said, "Hey, I'm opening the shop. I know when I was a kid. When I was a kid. When I was 17 through 18, I was managing Macca's stores. You know, it was a job that you do in high school. You go get a job at Macca's. Yeah, and I so did I, man. Stores. Yeah. And he goes, "Well, I'm actually opening a burger shop." You want to come drop some of that Macca's knowledge and let's just, you know, let's let's get everything good that you learnt from there and drop it into this new store and see what we can do. See if we can make this place make this place thrive with the knowledge of this like 
the corporate most machine. gigantic corporate machine that make burgers only let's make way better burgers. So what's uh tell me a little bit about Bumpin' Burger because you've got me you've got me fascinated now. Like Bumpin' Burger's wild. Brad had always I think he'd been interested in food. Like the the man can cook. The man can cook. I, I remember going around to his place for something. Maybe we're grabbing flyers for a show or something like that. And I've dropped in. He's gone. Do you want to stay for a burger? Yeah, right. And he's just cooking up burgers at home. And I'm like, dude, these are unbelievable. These are so good. And he's like, yeah, love cooking, love doing it, loves barbecuing. He's smoking meats all the time. Like, just he's a food lover, and so am I. Like, I really grew up just loving food and cooking shows, cooking net, food network, everything. Always love it. Um, and I think one day he was like, yeah, the time, like the time's right. He wanted to make something make something different like do something outside of like specifically the heavy metal touring stuff yeah i'm gonna get brad on the podcast yeah oh get him to talk about this but yeah so he <laughs> he opened up this shop and it's essentially it's just like full rock and roll theme everything on the menu is rock and roll theme the entire wall is just like bands and rock stars and acdc and black sabbath and led zeppelin all over the walls inside Sick. the like the inside is road cases and yeah do you it's think just we a could, cool ass rock and roll franchise place. this thing out and Brad can start one up in Melbourne? We can oh, go work there. I need I could get a new job up here. Yeah. Sort it out. I got I got Macca's knowledge too. Let's Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll get Brad on the podcast. Well, they, got, they, they just had their second birthday in Perth at Bumpin' Burger. So. Oh wow. Yeah. That's super exciting, well, man. Old machine. Bring I, it here. I went to um that place Grill 'em all in the States. Oh yeah. Um it's like same diff. It's like heavy metal themed. They got like municipal waste themed burgers and all that Sick. kind of stuff. And I they they I think they're originally a food truck. And um, it became like a, a separate shop. And it's like, I can't remember where it was in California somewhere, I think, or I don't know. It was somewhere where I went on one of my American travels. Anyway, I ended up going in there and having a chat with one of the owners. And uh, he was such a chill dude and like gave me a t-shirt, which I still have to this day. Nice. I think if you watch, I think it's an Iron Reagan film clip. One of the dudes in the band is wearing my shirt. I'm like, that's my fucking shirt. Nice. Um, because yeah, it's like, there's something, appe- like heavy metal dudes love burgers. Like there's no oh, doubt yeah. about it. Like, how, many, how many dudes in metal bands do you know? Or like heavy metal punters that are chefs? so many so many why do you think that is what do you think the connection is between being like a chef and being like a music because being a chef is wild it's like you are like running at 100 you know you're working crazy hard it's hot it's loud it's exactly what heavy metal is only there's food at the end of it instead of riffs that's a that's a fantastic uh, correlation you've just drawn in my mind now. It actually makes a bit of sense, actually, because yeah. it, it's an intense environment. And, like, I guess the reason why a lot of people would be drawn to heavy metal would be the intensity of it all. You know, yeah. like, why would you then sit in an office job and, like, sounds of, like, printers going off and stuff like that? It's kind of... Well, I think that would also drive someone to heavy metal. <laughs> Sitting in an office, getting deep vein thrombosis, not using your body, there's printers going off, there's meetings. Meetings would be, yeah. Conference calls. Fuck. Conference calls. Wow. Yeah, fuck that shit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that would probably drive you to heavy metal for sure. Yeah, true. I think everything drives you to heavy metal though. Let's be honest. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> we, we are, we are both here. Um, fuck. I don't know. What, are, what else are we going to talk about? Uh, we've got to talk about the merch stuff. Let's get into that. So, yeah, merch life. So I was like, there was a thread before and I've lost it cause I got distracted thinking about burgers, <laughs> but we're here. Delicious, so, delicious burgers. Okay. So, so you came over here in to Melbourne and when you, were you worried about work? Were you like, totally, totally. I, I, I knew it would take a long time to break into anything in the music industry in Melbourne because it's so big and it's the place where everyone else already goes. And it's like coming in as someone without many contacts, you got to make them somehow. And it's very much an industry of you get introduced to people and that's how you open up doors and start getting more work. And so the first things that I had, the very first job I had when I moved here was a driving gig for Psychroptic that 
had been hooked up for me through Cam and Dave, I think they were flying from Brisbane to Perth for a show and then back to Melbourne. And so they needed someone to drive the van with half the backline from that whole Aussie tour from Brisbane back to Perth, uh, back to Melbourne, sorry. Like brilliant. I was gonna say Brisbane to Perth, that'd so, be fucking huge. They were flying Brisbane to Perth. I was driving <laughs> Brisbane to Melbourne. I was like, I can do that. Yeah, absolutely. They're like, brilliant. We'll put you in a flight, bring you up, you drive everything back down, take three days to do it, whatever. It'll save us a ton on, you know, the way the way all the logistics work out. Mm. So I dropped them at the airport in Brisbane, managed to do it in two days, get to Melbourne, pick them up from the airport in Melbourne after they'd done two days in Perth. <laughs> And that was like my first job when I moved here and then started kind of squeezing my way into a little bit of merch work here and there. I'd done a job or two for a few different companies in Perth and one of them actually hit me up and they said, hey, can you do this job for us in Perth? I go, no, I can't. I've just moved to Melbourne, but I can do that same tour in Melbourne if you like. And then got a, oh, actually, yeah. Can you do the job in Melbourne? I was like, yeah, sure. And it's at a venue I've never heard of in a suburb I've never heard of. For bands I've never heard of. And I was like, yeah, I can absolutely do this. They're like, do you have a kit? I'm like, what kind of kit do I need for selling merch? And they're like, you know, merch stuff. What? You know, Tell me, what is it? Like a marker? Like, like pins, coat hangers, you know, like signs for prices and things like that. Just all the things that you need to put merch up in a venue so people can see it and come buy it. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I can smash one together. So I just got everything I already used for selling Earthrot merch for like doing our own displays, chucked it all in a case, went by Bunnings, grabbed some like, you know, some some bulldog clips and some pins and stuff and then went to the show and set it up, hustled merch, sold a bunch of stuff and then that was it. I was like, okay, cool. This is a job I can do. Let's do more of this. And I guess I was going to say, you said you came from front of house doing burgers. Like, you know, like you said, it's a, it's a, it's like a, it's a sales game, you know, yeah, it's like a customer a, service thing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a, talking to people, talking to people about music as well. Uh, getting into, yeah, getting into venues and kind of, it's not, not just music as well. Like, you know, you do merch for comedians and YouTubers and things like that, that come through doing a tours in Australia. What kind There's, of merch does you do YouTubers? Do they sell t-shirts? Oh, yeah. T-shirts, hoodies, all sorts of stuff. You huh. see pins and, uh, merch for drag queens they do killer merch oh dude yeah, yeah. I have a uh, somewhere in this room I have a sugarcane little um, pin when I yeah. saw that drag show I saw sugarcane I was like oh I'm gonna totally get that pin it's like a cute little cupcake I'm like fuck yeah and then it was it was totally like a band style setup there was like yeah there was merch dudes there that had the, like all the lineup and little cash yeah. boxes and I was like this is a business <laughs> yeah it is a business it is a business <laughs> these drag queens are making money right now absolutely like, so yeah uh, that's very cool actually so you you are just a merch guy that's kind of the majority that's that would be my primary source of income i sell merch uh i do driving driving jobs you know driving bands around or you know taking merch and backline between places just again anything i could do to get into music and making shows happen is the mm. thing that I want to do. Oh, and listeners as well. Uh, Jared's got a brand new van. So <laughs> if you're in Melbourne and need someone with a van to do van related things, he's your guy. Yeah. Call me and Jean Claude Van Damme and we'll come get you. <laughs> <laughs> is that the name of your van? It is. It is today. Changes every day. Oh, what else you got? Oh, Vanthrax. <laughs> I stole that one. <laughs> that's, not, that's not original. That's not all mine. That's very good. 
<laughs> oh man, you just get the logo with just a V on the front as well. Like that would just be that's a that's a sick idea. That'd be for pretty the, good. You know. Are you thinking about doing anything to the van, like decking it out in any ways? Any kind. The of first fun? thing I did was gut it and put in a stereo and a subwoofer. <laughs> Had to sound good. If I want to spend time in it, it's got to sound good. It's a big metal tube too. Like yeah. sound in those things is very difficult to like. You know, you really want to make sure that's kicking because otherwise, if it sucks, it's just like bouncing around in there. You know, have you got insulation in there? You got any yeah. kind of? Yeah. Yeah, we got pumped up. Well, I've got the uh, mine's mine's a splitter, so I've got six seats, and then the back section is like sealed off, so it's not so bad. It's not like a, it's not quite the big tube that like a one tonner normally is. Yeah, so it sounds all right in there. Sounds okay. Yeah, it sounds pretty good. <laughs> That's excellent, man. I'm so glad. I'm so happy for you. Like, it's like um van life but instead of it being like you know going down to buyer and having some curtains on it it's like you decking this thing out to fill it full of cabs and shit yeah just to fill it with boxes of merch and get them around and then go sell them yeah fuck yeah tell us about your merch kit a little bit more i'm curious about the kind of kit that you need as a merch man like what's it what's in your kit now is like a pencil case is like is it a pelican case it's a pelican case it's a pelican case it's mostly it's like containers full of of a lot of pins a lot of venues have like little pin boards where you can chuck all your shirts up uh bulldog clips a whole lot of gaffer tape, uh, card readers, like a square reader, you know, backups of those, phone chargers, you know, Stanley knives for cutting boxes open, a hell of a lot of tape. So much tape. That's most of what's in it. That's a tape, you- tape with a tape gun. You got a little tape oh, gun. Oh, yeah, I got one of those. Yeah, and oh, gaffer yeah. tape as well because, you know, boxes fall apart on the road. Yeah. For, oh, man, you're really thinking about this. You're like reconstructing the boxes and making them stronger as the tour goes on. You have to sometimes, yeah. You get one little bit of rain and your boxes fall apart. So, yeah, it depends. <laughs> Depends. That covers most things, hey. And then it's just like stuff to put up a display and make it look nice, like price signs and signs that say front and back because a lot of people seem to have trouble like figuring, figuring that out. out front and back of a design of a shirt. And that's that's also for the merch for the merch person. That's like a big job is to figure out how can I place these up in a way that people will know that's the front and that's the back. Like, are you poking a bit of the sleeve behind the front of the shirt so then they're like closer together than the other ones? So you- it's almost always front on top and then the back will be directly below it oh. like almost 100% of the time it'll be front and with back below it it's just the way they go together very good what about a long sleeve if you've got like a print on a longie how do you show off the print do you have to kind of tape the arm down like flat, flat yeah you kind of like so you- pull it pull it over in front and then like pin it under so you can see if there's like a, a, a print on the sleeve and hoodies and stuff you know you try and put the put the sleeves inside the pockets yeah they can hold on to them you can see what it is have you ever thought about going full shop front and getting like a mannequin to wear like we have a mannequin in perth yeah yeah i got one from like a closing down menswear store and we used it to take photos of like a a run of merch that we had done quite a while ago like yeah we'll put this up on our on our band camp we'll take some photos of the merch and we had shorts which was good because it was like down to the knees where it was chopped off like okay we got mostly shirts because we're a band this is going to look really weird if we just have this like bald Ken doll crotch hanging out below every shirt so we put some moshies on it and then uh we have hats and like hoodies and stuff like that and sunglasses so we had to make a head for the mannequin so we blew up like white balloons and drew king diamond face paint on them <laughs> put that on top and that was our that was our mannequin it's king diamond the mannequin oh it was so poorly drawn we're gonna have to do it again when we have new we have new merch coming for the album so we're gonna do it again we'll make, oh. we'll blow up and do like another era of king diamonds like makeup on a <laughs> on a white balloon and take photos with the mannequin again 
Tell us about uh, you. You were mentioning before you're getting some merch ready for this uh, new album. Yes. You're telling me about a, a fantastic design idea that's happening, right? Yes, if, absolutely. Is it it's printed? Is it ha- oh, pre-orders are up. It's it's almost done. Yeah. So tell tell listeners about the shirt so they can jump online and pre-order it so they can get one. I want to get my hands on one too, man. It sounds amazing. It's so good. This is just a joke that we had months, probably two years ago for the first time. We're watching something stupid round the twist. And hearing the intro, like, have you ever, ever felt like this? I'm like, oh, this sounds like riffs. It rhymes with riffs. Oh my God, have you ever, ever felt like riffs? We have to put that on a shirt somewhere. And we laughed. We thought, that's pretty good. I reckon that, I reckon that'll do all right. That'll sell okay. I'm like, okay, but we need a piece of artwork. And I found an illustrator and I've gone, I need you to do something weird for me. I need this lighthouse, specifically this lighthouse. And he drew like a sketch. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like has to be this lighthouse. He's like, why? I'm like... You don't need to understand why. It's from a TV show. It's just a thing. It's a reference. And we did it, you know, projecting a big pentagram over the ocean and there's tentacles and shit coming out. And so the it's a bit Lovecraftian. Yeah, it's extremely Lovecraftian. And then we just sat on it for a while. So we thought, are we, are we the kind of band that can do a funny design? Are we going to sell a funny design or do just we need cool, serious black metal merch? Mm. And we came around to do the album. And the album has a Lovecraftian edge. The album artwork has tentacles coming out of the ocean just like this. We thought, now's the time. Now's the time. The artwork leans into the album artwork. It's full of riffs. We've got a whole lot of riffs coming. <laughs> we needed to do a long sleeve. you got to sell long sleeves all year round in Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. fucking oath, man. And so we thought, this is the one. It's time to do it. And we put it up for pre-order. We put it as part of the pre-order bundle for, for the vinyl with the pedal and everything. And uh, yeah, they started selling. So we'll probably do, I think we'll, we'll cough up a run of 50 of them and whatever's left over after the pre-orders, we'll sell at shows in March. And then that'll hope that hopefully that'll be it. That'll be all of them done. Oh man. So it's going to be a limited run. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I got to get, you got to put one of them aside for me in a large. If you, you got know. it. <laughs> <laughs> Unreal. That's so good. That's so funny. Actually leading into that, I was going to ask about, you have said this whole podcast that you've been doing the kind of thing that you want to do, no matter kind of fuck the rules, whatever. You're a funny kind of band, you know, like you're a funny kind of dude. Like, and that's traditionally not allowed in heavy metal. Like you, you have, you have fun. You have fun when you're on stage. You have fun when you're kind of like floating around. Like, uh, was that something that started from the beginning or did you kind of lean into this fact? Like, I just want to have, have fun with this. I think we've always like, always had friends in the band. And I've, I've played in bands before where people are like, not the best friends, like people that have auditioned in. They're like, they're cool guys that get along, but like we're really very genuinely best mates with everyone in the band. We have so much fun just like, just palling around, being idiots. It's really hard not to. And because we don't do corpse paint and we don't do, you know, like big leather, you know, we do big cricket pads and stuff on stage, (laughs) big spiky shin pads. We don't do any of that stuff. We just kind of wear shirts of bands we love. We go out there and we play riffs and we do high kicks and, you know, stupid stuff and, drink beers on stage instead of playing riffs or, you know, that's, yeah. that's, that's one of my like pro tips when you totally blank on a riff, just drink beer instead. He'll <laughs> come back to you. <laughs> and they'll be like, oh, he clearly just needed a drink. He just really needed a drink. He there. didn't forget the bit at all. Didn't forget just, it at yeah. all. He just knew that he could have a beer instead of your eyes. Yeah. There's so many bands. I don't know. You see bands and sometimes you tour with bands and maybe this happens when you play a lot more shows than we do that they just don't have fun doing it anymore or maybe they're not having fun with the dudes in the band but we always just seem to have a good time and i don't think we're at the like the point of making like deliberately hilarious things like on mm. purpose we just kind of do whatever feels natural and if that's having fun 
in videos and online and on stage and stuff. And that's just what we're going to keep doing. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say that. There's that one video of you guys playing in that room and then like the background changes and you guys have a couple of costume changes and stuff. What was that? What was, what's that? Uh, Stairs of Sam Paternity. Yeah. We did that in the studio where we recorded our first three releases. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, we just, we borrowed cabs off everyone that we could find in in Perth, a couple of washing machines. Uh, and then, yeah, we just set the whole thing up and went brilliant. That's what the video is. The only plan we had was wall of cabs. Mm. And then everything else just happened. We had a ton of cams in EU export. Life was good. Uh, I think Tom's partner at the time was coming through and we're like, oh, I wonder if we should get her in to do some corpse paint for us just for a laugh called her and she was on her way back from doing face painting at a children's thing <laughs> she comes in she's corpse painting up all the guys and as we're doing them we go nah not me i want to be spider-man instead. <laughs> <laughs> i was just about to say went to spider-man she was just she's probably been doing spider-man all day at a children's party we're going yeah i want to be spider-man instead and so we just drop it in the video again this is us like it wasn't planned it was we we're just doing whatever felt right whatever was fun just being ourselves yeah, and yeah. I think that authenticity really shines through with with a band like you guys because it's like, oh shit, these dudes are having a fucking sweet time. For sure, we could very easily either go over the top and try and be way funnier than we actually are, or we could dial it back and be like really straight and serious. But that's just not who we are as people. Mm. And like musically, we kind of write whatever we feel like listening to, whatever we feel like writing, whatever just comes out, whatever whoever we are, that's what goes down on the album. And so you really just have to match that with everything else there's no point that's right yeah. like there's no point having really brutal merch and then like not looking like or sounding that way or being that way on stage because then it's like it's not representing the band but everything kind of feels like it's in its own little bubble you know yeah like, yeah it's kind of like I, I guess we just try and be we try and be earth rot at all times and whatever that is is whatever we put out <laughs> whatever we put out it's not always what we expect it's not always what we might plan for but it's it's always earth rot. And that's the, I think that's the thing that took a long time and a lot of years for us to realize is that when you're younger, you really, you have like a plan and a goal and it's this and it's got to be that. Like, mm. you know, you've got to write death metal and you've got to write black metal. Like we're doing classic era thrash and that's what we're doing. Um, and that's, that's a lot of fun to do. And then for earth rot, I guess, because we'd been through the other bands where we'd done the like more focused thing in our early twenties. And when we were like 18, 19, that now that, you know, we're pretty much, we're all 30 this year mm. all members of Earthrot are at least 30 this year <laughs> um we're just happy being ourselves yeah and i think that's probably resulted in a more organic like better r- release better album because we're just doing what we do rather than trying to do anything else and i think you've perfectly nailed that because i think talking to a lot of people on this podcast it seems like everyone starts hit their stride around like the 30 mark because it's like For we've sure. spent our 20s trying to be x or why yeah now it's like let's dial it back let's stop trying to play the fastest bestest whatever it's like let's just play what we want to play let's, let's let that totally go, and i know. used to do that vocally as well i used to go like johnny from job for a cowboy had the best lows i have to do that i have to be that good i have to sound just like that and they'd be like i really love the like sharp quick delivery that trevor does in black dahlia murder i have to be able to do that i gotta sound just like that and i'm like i want to put those two things together that's what i'm gonna sound like and then we toured with bands that have been doing it for a long time. Like we did a we did an Asian tour with Vader, and Peter sounds like Peter. Yeah, you cannot describe him in any other way. He sounds like himself. It's his voice, and it is a big, powerful, commanding voice. And I've gone, man, that that sounds cool. That sounds really cool. We did a tour with Shining from Sweden, and Nicholas not from Norway, <laughs> not from Norway. And Nicholas has 
again, just a super unique voice, and it's a lot of his actual voice. And then all of the, like, creepy sounds and screams and screeches, but it's got his voice in it as well. Mm. And I think my mind kind of opened up a little more to, well, rather than trying to be the most brutal or, the, like, doing the best highs or the best lows or whatever, I'm just going to try and sound like me. And it took a couple of years to figure out what that is. Oh, I'm sure it would be, man. Because, yeah. I mean, like, heavy metal vocals is such a tricky thing to get into, to start doing. Like, how, how does one just, like, start screaming into a microphone? James a- Brown. For me, James Brown. I feel good. Oh my god, it's a man's world. Papa's got a brand new bag. Was that? Was that your? Was absolutely. Like, Look at this motherfucker just belted out. Wow. Yeah, it was just big James Brown notes, and I was like, "How does he do that? His voice actually sounds really harsh." Mm. Uh, and then one day you you sit there doing it in your bedroom, you know, listening to other people, and kind of got a sound out of it. I was like, "Oh, that was actually a little crackly, a little, little croaky, a little screechy," and then just keep going and going and going, and then. You, you figure out, you find parts of your voice that you can kind of activate and use to make a different sound. And now I've reached the point where the sounds that I'm doing, I'm like, oh, this one's actually got a lot of my own voice in it. I'm going to do a lot more of that. Mm. And then that must be more comfortable to do vocally, right? Like on stage. And, yeah, and- for like three or four weeks at a time when you're doing a big long tour, the things that kind of come out more naturally... Uh, you have a, uh, I think I have a bit, I have personally have a bit more longevity doing. Mm. And so you have a stronger voice for longer doing those things as well, rather than just trying to punch out the lowest of lows and the highest of highs and the loudest things. I yeah, because then otherwise you've got to make like your best show, like the, the <laughs> first one of the tour. <laughs> otherwise, like the rest of the shows, you just suck because your hey. vocals are just shot. All right, everybody, come to Berlin. <laughs> we got this show. I wouldn't really worry about the rest of it. <laughs> I want to sound good every night. And I definitely found that the more I start using my actual voice and doing uh, doing what comes out the most naturally is is going to... Yeah, it sounds better for more shows. Sounds better longer. Mm. Feels better. Feels, feels better singing lyrics that matter on stage to you in your own voice rather than being like... Emulating Inside your else. head and you're trying to go lower and you're like, no, 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 he does lower. He does lower. It's got to go lower. I've got to be more brutal. Like, no, I'm just going to gonna be me out there yeah yeah that's amazing now you've also got a secret leg up on your vocals uh based on i didn't know this was a thing we're talking about this uh at lunch before this episode aired tell us a little bit about uh the uh the the lozenge oh the lozenges yes here we go okay (laughs) so some time ago we're uh we're doing some shows and i've always used like strepsils and things like that and you know drink cups of tea before going on stage just because what you do you know you try and look after your voice of course and we're playing in japan with toka and bloodshot dawn and my friend josh has these vocal zone lozenges and they're so good and you kind of put them on your tongue and you breathe in and they just open up your lungs and everything just brightens up all your sinuses everything opens and it soothes your voice and it feels so good and you do this before you play you go up and it's like it's like warming up in lozenger form so you like you know sometimes you have a lozenger get a bit of sugar there and then kind of warm up this like almost is the warm up. It's fantastic. And then after using them, I was doing two sets a night on this tour. I was doing two bands. So I did essentially like a 25 minute set and then 15 minute break. And then the 30 minute earth rot set It was really taking it out of me, but I love the lozenges. They like worked a treat. So I sent an email to their A&R rep, a guy named Dan. Okay, Dan, I've just done this tour. A friend of mine gave me a pack of lozenges. I'm from Australia. Like, we couldn't buy them in the shops at the time. They're a British company. I love them. I really like these lozenges. I want to, yeah, I want to I keep talking about it. I want to keep talking about it. I want to join the, the artist rep. And so I'm looking. I'm looking online. 
And they have a fantastic list of endorsees, like unbelievable singers, right at the very top. Personal hero of mine, Mr. Tom Jones. <laughs> and that was the, when I saw that, I've gone, no, this is it. I like, this is a goal of mine. I have to get endorsed by this company because I need to have my picture next to Tom Jones. <laughs> just a picture of you like on stage, me, like doing, yeah. doing the muscles, you know? Me like- flexing, <laughs> just sweaty, covered in tattoos and hair. and Yeah. Yeah, look good next to Tom Jones. I, I think I would too. I yeah. think I would be an excellent representative of the brand along with Mr. Tom Jones. And so I hit him up and he goes, yeah, cool. Okay, we've we've just taken on new artists. We're closed for the year. We're not taking on any new artists at the moment. But I'll send you a care pack. We can send you some tea, send you some lozenges to try out some of the other flavors. Let us know what you think. And he sent me some stuff and I have been like religiously drinking this tea. I save it. I like keep, I take exactly one tea bag per show when I go on tour now and I have four with me. And then I take, we're doing four shows. I'm taking four tea bags, one pack of lozenges. So until you get that proper endorsement, which will come, I'm sure in, in no time, you know, like. Yeah, Dan, if you're listening, we're now signed to Season of Mist. We've got a new album coming out worldwide. I've been rationing these teas for years. <laughs> I, just, just, I want to feel like I could just have one, you know? Two years like, hanging on to tea. I'd just like to have tea one day. Just for fun, you know? You know, it might not need it before a show. It might just calm you down, you yeah. know? So, hey. Great on the voice. Let's hope that, you know, someone's listening that can sort this out for you. You know, I, I might even bring you some lozenges and tea sitting here doing the podcast. I talk a lot, man. You, you do, know, maybe yeah. I need to. Maybe I need some tea, you know? Yeah, get, maybe some, I- get some in for your guests. <laughs> we should get someone from the company on the podcast. Oh, that'd be fantastic. And maybe we could do like, maybe I could, that could be my first ever, you know, hey, use F-U-T-L promo code to get uh, some cheap, some cheap <laughs> stuff on the, you know, like maybe that could be, that could, that could be my way in. Sponsored proudly by VocalZone. Well, you come in and do the endorsement for me. We could pre-record it and just play at the start of every episode. Oh, you know, Yeah. You know, <laughs> VocalZone's own. Jared Bridgman up there with Tom Jones. Uh, <laughs> Pictured, pictured right here next to Tom Jones. It's a podcast. You can't see a picture. Don't worry about it. Just go on the website. But it is a lifelong goal of mine to be endorsed by a company that endorsed Tom Jones. But also, I genuinely love their stuff. <laughs> Did I say Tom Jones enough? Tom Jones. Tom Jones. You can say Tom Jones. We do this thing sometimes called Tom Jones Restring, where like we go on tour and you fly in and then you, you, know, you fly in our old strings. First thing we do, start the tour, get all the boys together. Put on some Tom Jones, cut our strings, restring all together. It's like a little like ritualistic thing, you know. Some bands do like do their like satanic ritual stuff. Yeah, some band like and- bury their like clothes with like dead things and like dig them back up. Yeah, for the tour. like melting leather and stuff like that, and pig's blood. And we we listen to Tom Jones together. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good time. It puts like- you in such a good mood. Yeah, like and are there like. Uh- I know the Tom Jones hits. Obviously, everyone does. Oh, my number one is absolutely Tom Jones and the Cardigans burning down the house. Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, what a ripper. Yeah. <laughs> and it followed closely by Sex Bomb. Yeah. What else have you got for me? Are there any other tracks that you that listeners should be like? Well, the thing is, restringing Tom- doesn't really take that long. So, normally, we get through two songs <laughs> and then we're done. That's it. No no need for any more Tom yeah, Jones. Yeah, burning That's- down the house, Sex Bomb, and then it's like, oh, all right. What's new, pussy? Ca- uh, and then we're done. Okay, good. Yeah. Good to know. Um, all right. Well, I'm feeling it. This has been a pretty good long podcast so far. Do you want to jump into the lightning round questions and then oh, we can lightning round. We yeah. can wrap this up. Right, take a take a quick swig and then we'll do it. Yeah, sure. All right, six of wands. You ready to do this? I am ready. All right. Oh, that was good. Actually, you ever thought that about was doing Batman. some? Yeah, that I didn't was... do any accents today. <laughs> Dude. So I'm trying. I'm I'm trying to add a question every time someone comes on and does a lightning round thing. Yeah. Maybe your one should be: Can you do any voices? Yes. So what's what's your best accent? And please do it for me right now. 
Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, what can you? What's your favorite? Like, what do you? What do you go to? Well, I mean, half of my technique, like on one of the. <laughs> oh shit! One, this is gonna be embarrassing this, for you. This is so good. Like on one of the, one of the comments on the video clip for Dread Rebirth that we just put out. There's all this stuff like, yeah, cool, like the song, whatever. And there's one where the guy goes, yeah, I really like it. But at 1.32, he sounds like Hoggle from The Labyrinth. And was that intentional? <laughs> no, no, that's just my vocal tech. That's what I sound like. So you can do a mad Hoggle impression. I, I can't even remember what he sounds like, but I just, I heard it and I went, yeah, yeah, cool. That's what I'm doing. You know, for someone, that's going to be really exciting for them. Like, oh my God. It's Hoggle from The Labyrinth. That, that was almost Otto from The Simpsons. But. That was a bit Otto, yeah. Can you do do an Otto for me? Can I do an Otto? <laughs> yeah. That's What's up, Bart, dude? <laughs> dude, that's great. I'm hoping for listeners who don't see you, they're just going to think you look like Otto now. <laughs> yeah, not far off. <laughs> not far off at all. All right, let's go. Analog or digital? Analog. What time do you wake up today? I have no idea. 10, 10.45 this morning, I reckon. <laughs> That's barely morning. You, you're pushing it here. <laughs> yeah, I didn't go to bed till four. Oh, so. what were you doing last night? Yeah, not much. <laughs> <laughs> just up till four. Usual Watching stuff. Mad Men, I think. Oh, really? Sick. Yeah, what just, season are you up to? I just started. Oh, Never what? watched it. Yeah. It's on Netflix? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So you're just binging. Yeah, big time. Oh, good. Uh, last thing you read? Last thing I read? Whoa, my God. Um, I have one book in Melbourne and it's the, the complete suicide handbook, but it's not in English. So I don't know if that counts as read. What's this? What's the complete suicide handbook? It's Japanese. It's yeah. It's like a Japanese suicide manual. It's a really classic. Is it it's a step really one, classic go book. to forest where Logan Paul's go to or whatever. Step two, die. Is no, that- it's like everything. It's like every possible way you can do it and diagrams and stuff like that. And it's a super curious and interesting book, but I don't know if I can call that read. <laughs> Because I couldn't read a word in it. You looked at the pictures, though. It's a picture book, yeah. <laughs> What's your first memory? My first memory? My first memory, wow. Um, I'm in the hallway of my house, of my like the childhood house that I grew up in, and I have one of those mats that's like, it's got like the the like streets and the roads. Mm, drive some Hot Wheels on it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a photo... And I would have been wearing it. I would have been wearing a, like a little black and red jumper, a black and red, black and red sweatshirt in it. So I was already, it was black, red and white. Yeah. Classic black metal covers. I was already in it. <laughs> yeah. You colors. were already there. Uh, tea or coffee? Coffee. Oh, but see, I thought you were going to go on that vocal zone tea. You can- I know. But then. <laughs> vocal zone need to make coffee. some coffees. Oh, imagine coffee that soothed your voice. Dude, that's, we need to get on Unbelievable. That's a yeah. fucking million dollar We can call it zone vocal instead. <laughs> <laughs> we might get sued. <laughs> Last thing you cooked. Last thing I cooked, I made. Oh, I'm not. I'm not very lightning at this, am I? No, that's fine. It never last really night, I, yeah, okay, good. It's, it's essentially just a good excuse for me to ask these questions. To everyone that comes on, and it spurs on some interesting shit. Like I, it's suicide I did like handbook. Chick, chicken and salad wraps last night. Nice. Yeah, low carb wraps. Mm. Tasty, delicious. How do you low carb in a wrap? Is the wrap itself? The wrap itself is low carb. Yeah. Are you trying to cut down on carbs? Yeah. Good man. Doing my best. Yeah. Yeah, I need to like leave my carb allowance for beer. So <laughs> the food now must now be low carb. Smart move. Uh, if you were reborn, who or what would you like to be? If I were reborn, okay. Well, well, the planet doomed. So what's going to survive? <laughs> Cockroach. 
I will be a cockroach. Smart move. Um, it will. <laughs> it will this is the worst answer I've ever given. Oh, no but I will ever live. Cockroach. <laughs> yeah, why would they? Um, trash beast. <laughs> oh, good thrash metal band name. Good. Yeah. Trash beast. Write, write that down. Uh, it can be another side band. You can start with Tom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what inspires you? What inspires me? Other people in music. Mm. People that put everything into trying to do this thing that this crazy thing that we're all doing and make music and like make underground music and make heavy music and put it out there because you're told your whole life you can't do this you can't make a living do this you shouldn't do this society won't like you if you do this so anyone that goes yeah fuck it i'm gonna do it these people inspire me very good uh last record you played the last record i played i would have listened to on the way over here the last cattle decapitation album because i'm gonna see them tomorrow because they're getting pumped up for those. Yeah, exactly. Vibes. Getting yeah. ready. That's awesome. Uh, favorite piece of musical equipment. Favorite piece of musical equipment. Mini tuba. <laughs> the euphonium. <laughs> I um I recently reacquired the first acoustic guitar that I learned to play on. How did you? Where did it was? It, it was living at home at my parents' house. It's not in Great Nick, but it's a 1964 Silvertone parlor guitar. It's like kind of like a three quarter size like acoustic so old and just has i don't know just feels something about it feels right probably because it's the first one i learned to play on maybe it's like a little bit of 60s charm but yeah i've decided i'm gonna have to start playing country western now to make use of it you can do like nurgle did that sign project where he wore a hat me and me and that hat yeah me and that man that's it (laughs) me and that that big hat hey speaking of me and that man joga mukabi who played um the sax solo on our album is in me and that man now fuck yeah Yeah. that's super exciting stuff Fuck, it's a small world. Maybe you, I'll be friends with Nurgle next. I was just about to say, you need to fucking get that guitar, write some, <laughs> write some songs when he comes out, you can support, and then all of a sudden become mates with Nurgle. How Do sick would that Nurgle. be? That'd be sick. Oh, he seems like a cool as fuck. I'll take dude. him surfing. Yeah. Would he be up for that, you reckon? Oh, big time. Yeah, fucking oath. I can't surf, though. <laughs> every, every, every time I think of Nurgle, I just think of this DVD that Matt showed me years ago, and it was just him like pumping weights before he went on stage, and like he was a beast at the time. I think this was pre-cancer. And it's just like, what a fucking gun. Like, he is absolutely... A machine. Anyway, uh, last movie you saw? The last movie I saw, Detective Pikachu. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think of Detective Pikachu? I didn't hate it. Yeah, I didn't hate it either. Like, as far as like a Pokemon that can actually talk, like Ryan Reynolds, that's the guy. That's the guy for it. Yeah. I didn't hate it at all. Yeah, very good. Uh, Who do you love? You. (laughs) (laughs) Stop it, you're making me blush. Uh, I, I love my bandmates. I really do. I love oh. everyone, everyone in live music in in Melbourne. That's been fantastic since I've moved here. All my housemates, everyone, everyone staying high at shows. Yeah. All beautiful people. Oh, a lot of good people to love. That's lovely. Do you have any pets? I don't. My housemates have a staffie named Chucky, and he's pretty rad. Sick. Um, are you useful? Useful. Mm. Yes. Good. Quite useful. What's your biggest fear? Hmm. Lactose. (laughs) (laughs) It's a genuine terror for me. What do you value the most? Honesty. People that are honest, not just to other people, but to themselves. Because it took me a while to, to figure that out for myself. And I think that's that's what we try and do with Earthrot. That's like our whole thing. We're being honest to ourselves in mm. writing whatever ridiculousness comes out. Spoons and all. Spoons and all. Um, anime or Disney? 
what does Avatar count as? Because people are like, oh, it's not anime because it was like Chinese slash American. People want to say, well, actually, you know, Avatar is made by Nickelodeon or whatever. Yeah, so. I mean, so it's not actually. Yeah, yeah. I, well, look, I don't know. I'd say that's kind of more on the side of anime, I'd right? Call it's it very anime. Eastern, you know, yeah. influenced and stuff. Yeah, well, then let's go with that. So, Avatar is the thing that swings you across to anime because you love Avatar so much? I only watched it recently, but it was so good. I still haven't seen it, and everyone tells me I should watch it. It's wild. I wasn't, it wasn't, I honestly thought it was an anime until I watched it, and I was like, oh, okay i get it this is like a like modern constructed like lean on the anime thing to make this series but it's good it's really good good character development did you watch legend of Korra as well no should i i don't know it takes place like years afterwards i'm told oh wow i only know this from working in nerd world for as long as i did but i never watched it but i know enough about it that i can like pass it off in conversations be like oh yeah and then do that this afternoon while pumping some weights (laughs) (laughs) what do you mean they go hand in hand doing what I like lift weights while watching TV. Oh, do you really? Yeah, yeah, double up. I get really bored exercising. So, where do you where do you work out? Like at home. You just do it all at home. Yeah, I bought bought weights and and stuff and just do everything at home. So that way I can crank music like obscenely loudly during the day or like watch Mad Men and do it. Yeah. Keep myself entertained while I'm doing it, like double duty. Do you feel good watching Mad Men doing weights while these cunts are just like drinking and smoking themselves to death? And you're just like, look at my muscles. It's like if ever you watch like a cooking show and you're like, God damn, I'm hungry. Watching these guys just like smoking and. Like drinking, I'm like oh god damn, I could go and drink right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, fucking oh. Go scotch. Um, Star Wars or Star Trek? Oh, I'm gonna have to go Star Trek. Oh, big. Yeah. Why is that though? I it used to be Star Wars, and then a long time ago when I busted my knee, I got like way into Star Trek around the time I think Netflix came out, and then they just like there's just so much to love about Star Trek. There really is. I'm more into the series than the movies. Yeah, and probably more into like next generation than anything else like yeah so you excited about this Picard show have you started that yet yeah yeah I'm four episodes deep at the moment <laughs> I just love that he's back <laughs> excellent um I don't think when it comes down to it the only people who have said Star Trek have been you and Dave Haley I'm pretty sure really yeah classic yeah it's good Star times. Trek came first let's be honest yeah yeah it's like fucking beginning of all that shit it is the beginning um are you more of a Batman or a Robin definitely a Batman <laughs> And why? I find this funny because I don't think anyone's ever said Robin. Because <laughs> <laughs> no one would ever say Robin. See, but I'm a Robin, dude. I'm totally are a Robin. You, are you a Robin? Yeah, man. Batman's really? serious. Robin's not serious. Robin's having a good time. Robin does have a good time. He he's does. also very athletic. Yeah. yeah and he, and he like, you know, he's like a bit of a ladies' man as well. Like, Oh, yeah. The whole rubber lips thing with Uma Thurman. <laughs> Dude, I have a lighting set up on this hue bridge yeah. and one's green and one's pink and I called it Batman Forever because the lighting in that oh, movie is yes. fucking Unbelievable. beautiful. It's like, it's the most... Streets don't look like that ever. Like, why yeah, is it just constant green and pinks everywhere? Like, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful colour scheme, guys. Like, get around it, you know? <laughs> like, heavy metal dudes might do a bit of green and purple. You know, it's a bit Sabbathy, it's a bit stonery. Yeah. But, like, bring the pink in. Pink and green. I'm going to... If I ever get on a lighting desk, I'm going to be like, Joel Schumacher up in this bitch and just fucking... <laughs> just greens rubbing all day. Yeah. yeah. Hey, they work. Oh, it's so good. Uh, who's your favorite Ninja Turtle? My favorite Ninja Turtle. So uh, I grew up the youngest of four siblings mm-hmm. and there were four of us and there were four Ninja Turtles. So were you given a turtle because you were the youngest? Yes. And which one was that? I was absolutely assigned one. <laughs> Let's see how my memory is. So was it four boys? Is that what you, like, you grew up with four boys? Or nah. Is this, is it... <laughs> nah, the girls could be Ninja Turtles too. Yeah. That's cool. No, that's exciting. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying like, this is a... You know, like that you all just picked a Ninja Turtle and that's just what it was. Yeah, if I answered today, I'd absolutely say I'd be Krang. (laughs) Very good. Yeah. Uh, If not Krang, I know the obvious heavy metal answer is uh, Master Shredder, but (laughs) 
I'm pretty sure. Oh, what was, which one was the purple one? Donatello. Donat- yeah, I would have been Donatello. That yeah. would have been the one I was assigned. Yeah. <laughs> you were assigned? Yeah, like you were assigned born. at birth as birth Donatello. stones, like a fucking, you know, yeah. what's a star sign and then your turtle. Yeah. Um, what's a movie you could watch every day and not get sick of? Every day, every single day, like yeah. if like for the rest of my life, yeah. every day. Sat down, or like a uh, clockwork orange, eyes strapped. Wow. Well, no, there, is, there is absolutely no movie I could watch every day and not get sick of. There are none. But <laughs> if I had to, I'd watch something that I know would like absolutely just like cook my mind into oblivion. What would that be? I don't know. I don't know. So, maybe maybe I'd go with Inception because that lack of closure at the ending, uh, if you watch that, you would become so obsessed with that that I honestly think that movie could warp my perception of reality if I had to watch it every single day. I'd get to a point where I would no longer know what is real and that would either be fantastic or terrible. Either way, I'm up for the ride. That's great. I love that. Um, oh, you've been to a lot of countries, but what country do you want to visit the most? Is there any you haven't been to? Finland like- now. Oh, of course. Yeah, we have to go to Finland now. Um, and Norway. Never been to Norway. Okay. So definitely Finland though. Finland number one. Hear that everyone? <laughs> Hear that people in Finland listen to this podcast? Finland I'm, number one. I'm hoping that like, because I can see on the little stats on Podbean or whatever, where yeah. like people listening and stuff. And after Dave Haley episode, because like, I guess Psychroptic fans have uh, everywhere. Sure, have some reach. Yeah. I'm getting like weird, like fives and sixes of like random countries. And I'm like, what the like fuck? Bangladesh like, and Saudi. Like, and- yeah, India was one of them and like Colombia and all these like weird places that I'm We've like- got a lot of South American coming up lately. I think Spotify is maybe like kind of starting to boom there. And mm. we're getting a lot more South American plays. Have you been asked to come to Brazil before? Oh, absolutely. This should definitely be a question in the quick fire as well. So yes. Has anyone ever asked you to come, come to, to Brazil? Brazil. So one day you get to Brazil, but after Finland for sure. Yeah. Uh, and famous last words. Of mine or of someone else's? I don't know. All right. What are mine going to be? I'm going to go with mine. We'll figure out something. What are my famous last words going to be? It's absolutely going to be, yeah, what size? When someone asks for a shirt. <laughs> Why don't people just say what size shirt they want? Why don't they ever do that? Yeah, that's actually a... Really good question. Hey, can I get that black shirt? Yeah, dude. What size? What size? I'm gonna ask that so many times. I'll have an aneurysm. That will be my last. That'll, word. Yeah, I guess that. If, if if I guess this translates to being what would be on your tombstone when you die, like yeah. in little in in little inverted commas, it'd be yeah. What size? Yeah. Question what mark. size? <laughs> blood spatter on roof so there you go everyone when you go buy merch next time you're at the merch desk just tell them what size you are straight just away start with that you know it's cool like at mcdonald's you know can i get a large double quarter pound of milk can i get a large of the slayer shirt on the left which undoubtedly has a skull and some blood on it or something yeah maybe some like thinly veiled nazi looking stuff as well that's the yeah that's yeah. the good shit yeah that's it <laughs> i don't know why that bird looks so sick on that shirt it's like oh it's because they just took away the swastika and put a slayer logo there it turns out <laughs> fuck yeah all right let's not worry about any of the connotations yeah, I, wouldn't, with that. I wouldn't worry about it <laughs> it's fine Excellent. Wow, we're all done. Thank you so much Brilliant. for coming on the show today, man. Thank you so much for having me, having me talk, talk shop, talk. Final plugs. Tell us about the shows. You're playing at the Bendigo. We um, are. So we're playing in Perth on release day on March 6th at the Boston with Christ Dismembered, Dead Space, Illyria and Burial Ground. Then we go to Brisbane. We've got Brisbane at the new Crowbar, which has just moved. So sick. it's uh, what was once Brightside uh, with Christ Dismembered, Descent, 
Asylum and Cetera. Then we come to Melbourne, playing the Bendigo Hotel, the home of heavy metal. It's so good. With Christ Dismembered, Sunder, Rituals, and Vexation. Fuck yeah. And then we drive to Adelaide. <laughs> and we're going to finish it in Adelaide. We're going to finish so strong in Adelaide. We're playing Jive with Christ Dismembered, In the Burial, Shattered Brain, and Mother Morgue, who are like this just wild slam band with HM2 and it's just I don't even know how to describe how disgusting they are and are you guys going to drive uh, Vanthrax across to Adelaide we are we are we're going to take Jean-Claude Van Damme (laughs) (laughs) you can come up with some new names I'm sure there's going to be some fucking oh there's going to be some good ones by the end of it oh fantastic alright well good luck with all those shows good luck with the with the new album that's very exciting fantastic thank you so uh, much yeah we'll uh, fucking see you at the next show See you soon. Selling some fucking t-shirts. That's it. What size? What size? <laughs> hey, welcome to the post ramble. I don't know why I just did Fonzie A, hey, but you know that's just what today felt like it called for. So I'm doing a post ramble in the car. I had a previous post ramble and I was like, nah, not good enough. Not happy with it. There was a lot of rain yesterday and there's a lot of windscreen wiper sounds. And I'm like, nah, I could park the car. I could respect my listeners enough to park the car, put the phone right in front of my face and record it. Hopefully it sounds better than the last one did. Um, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Jared. It was a really good time. Jared's someone that uh, I've only just seen from afar, whether it be awkwardly buying merch off him and probably not telling him the size that I wanted first which fuck do I do that I don't know if I do that maybe I do maybe we all do a little bit he's saying a lot of people do it so it could have been me and then also seeing him in Earthrot which uh, you know I'm a big fan of that band so it was really cool to have a sit down with Jared and not just um, do the podcast we got some lunch beforehand I had a nice lemon drink delicious anyway and then we had those Red Bull bottles which made my mouth feel funny dude like midway through the podcast I was like my mouth feels like fuck so hopefully that didn't sound weird in the podcast, me just losing my mind to Red Bull syrup. Um, but geez, it was delicious. I hope I uh, don't get addicted to that shit. Um, but yeah, so it was a lovely conversation. Things I really liked about Jared is his go, you know, his drive to just like move from Perth, come to Melbourne, get into this scene deeper and work and be in that in that field and, and not have a... A backup plan, you know, like Jared sells merch for a living. And I think that's really cool that, you know, most other people, when you think bands and trying to manage that with a life, usually involves having like a, you know, a job on the side, like an actual job, like a job that we all have to just do, but then on weekends we go to shows. So it's really cool that Jared's just committed to the fact that he can be ready to tour at all times. He could just like, you know, like sling merch and, and do Earthrot stuff and then that's just like the deal. And I think that's, um, there's something to be really admired about that, you know? I think a lot of other people would be like, yeah, fuck, I wish I could just do that all the time, you know, and like be in it more. I don't know. It's pretty cool. So I really like that. He's a funny dude. I hope you guys had a lot of laughs. I certainly did. And, uh... Go see Earthrock when they play in a town near you. Because <laughs> this new album's going to rip and I'm fucking stoked about it. So, anyway, hope you guys are having a great day. I hope you guys have learnt about merch and potentially maybe what Perth's a little bit like. Uh, I hope it's been educational in some way. Hope you're having a great week. Um, make sure you hit me up on Instagram at Lady. Send me a message or comment on my posts or, I don't know, just that general niceness. I like when people share... Instagram stories that's a new phenomenon where it's just kind of like 
you know, someone posts a story and then someone posts that story back and then that person posts a story about them posting a story, posting a story and that little thing gets smaller and smaller in the square. Um, I like when that's happening, you know, and I like reposting some of the stuff that people are posting about the podcast. So, at Fuck You Tarot Lady on Instagram, I'm too lazy to use any other social media platforms. Yeah, be good to each other and I'll see you guys for the next episode very soon.